Hello, everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman. And through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. Are you having trouble losing weight? Do you get extreme food cravings, especially at night? What about the inability to lose weight even when you cut calories and do a lot of exercise? I know I fell into this category for pretty much most of my life. It's actually probably not even your fault. You most likely have what's called leptin resistance. Leptin is actually a hormone made by the fat cells that regulates food intake and energy expenditure by communicating with the brain. The more fat you have, the more negative leptin messages are actually being sent to your brain. This creates what's called leptin resistance and is going to sabotage all dieting efforts and causes food cravings even when you have enough fat stored. Introducing Zenith, this is an all-new, completely natural formula that gently decreases leptin levels to restore accurate communication between fat cells in the brain. Zenith contains zero harmful stimulants. It's made of all-natural polysaccharides and acetylated fatty acids, very safe for long-term weight loss plans, and it is made in the USA. In an eight-week, university-conducted, double-blind, placebo-controlled study, participants lost 21.3 pounds of fat, lost almost four inches off their waistline, and reduced serum leptin levels by 43%. So if you or someone you know, someone you really love is struggling with weight loss, head down to the show notes. I'll have a link there and a few videos where you can learn more information about Zenith. So listen, I've been experimenting with different types of minerals, especially magnesium, for the past five to six years. But I could never really find a product that I could feel the benefits that magnesium claimed to give. Magnesium is one of the most important minerals for all of human health. It participates in over 600 different biochemical reactions in the body, yet over 80% of the population is deficient. Magnesium deficiency can increase risk for all disease and greatly decrease optimal performance. That's why I like Bioptimizers. They use all seven forms of magnesium in a highly bioavailable form in their product Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium helps with stress, anxiety, sleep, immune function, detoxification, and so much more. If you want to try out this product, head over to Buy Optimizers and use code IntegrativeThoughts10 to receive a 10% discount on their amazing product, Mag Breakthrough. All right, today we have on the CEO of Natural Action Technologies. His name is Jonathan Butts. We're going to talk all things water, revitalized water, living water, what most people would call restructured water. I've been using structured water for about four years now, and I really, really notice the benefits. I feel like I get more energy. I feel like I absorb it better. I feel like I can drink less water. And Jonathan really is an expert in all things water. He has a super deep, almost esoteric knowledge of water. So I really think you're going to get a lot out of this. You may even need to rewind or replay this episode quite a few times. The information that he shares is super, super dense and super heady. So I had to replay it a few times to even try to get a grasp on it myself. So feel free, dig in and realize how powerful water really is. Jonathan, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, good to be here. Awesome, man. I, um, 
think you're going to test my interview skills a little bit today. I'm going to try to uh, get this message across that I've heard you preaching about water, but try to somehow, some way, make it in a digestible form. Some of it is very uh, almost esoteric and very in-depth. Uh, you have a crazy knowledge of water and what water is and uh, almost like a consciousness, spiritual aspect to water as well. And uh, I want to dive into all of it, but I also want to um, kind of bring it back for some people if it gets a little bit too much or if I can't understand it and I think others can't understand it. So I think uh, we'll have a good chat, but I'm going to try to bring you back to reality every every so often here. Yeah, that's uh, it's good to ground it out. Uh, you know, a lot of times it can run off, like you said, and get really esoteric and far out. And uh, somebody can ground the topic out. It's a lot more usable. Yeah, and, and I want you to go there. I don't want that to um, kind of discourage you because I love when you go on the rants. I think they're awesome and they're cool. But I'm going to try to maybe nitpick pieces here and there that maybe uh, we can kind of break down into a more digestible form for sure. So Perfect. definitely don't want don't want to discourage you from going on those those rants because they're they're pretty wild and far out there and I think they're really really cool. Um, but why don't we get started? Uh, it seems like you had a pretty interesting childhood. Sounds like you might have been kind of doing some like chemistry or different uh, work with your father. How did how did your uh, childhood look like growing up? Yeah, I, I think I grew up like real open and excited. Um, probably because of things like that. I think my dad was, my dad would get really giddy over, you know, showing me chemical reactions and, you know, kind of off to the side from the rest of the world, from school, from, you know, my mom and the rest of the family, he kind of would pull me to the side and felt like he was kind of giving me secrets, I guess. And he was real excited. And, you know, when you're a kid, especially with your dad, you, you just like if you're five, six years old and that's beginning already, you kind of get really drawn to it. So for to, to me, it was really normal. I, I didn't understand there was any difference in what I was learning at, you know, six years old, seven years old and coming up almost like, you know, just at the school level. And uh, my dad got a kick out of it and I really enjoyed it. And we've had, we had, I remember a lot of uh, late night sessions at midnight after the family was asleep, him grabbing me out of bed and taking me down in his basement lab and showing me stuff he was working with. So, you, you know, sort of unique in that sense that um, probably electricity and chemistry I was playing with at a very young age with my dad. And it was the, it was cooler stuff. You know, it, it wasn't, you know, like chemical dyes and things like that. It was like things that would explode, things that would implode, suddenly cool down. You know, uh, Jacob's Ladder, electrical reactions. He was always kind of mad scientist for a hobby. I, I think he did it professionally. He was a chemist, but he would toy around with the fringe in, in his laboratory and share it with me. So, yeah, it was a little different. That's super interesting. So he had the entire lab even right downstairs. I thought maybe you would like go to work with him sometimes, but he, he seemed like he was uh, uh, whipping up a bunch of stuff right downstairs in the basement, huh? Yeah, yeah. He was probably a little bit out of bounds. I think it was kind of like, I don't let mom know about this a lot. <laughs> 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 She'll freak out if she finds out what we're doing down here. And uh, But he used to take me to... Uh, so he was in Big Steel. He ended up getting into metallurgy chemistry. 
and uh, that's where his the family business was in big steel. So even at a little, he used to go teach steel mills how to melt in the modern day with the electric arc furnaces. So he would teach, and I remember him taking me to steel mills uh, when I was young. Uh, and so I was around them, but they wouldn't let me in them, you know. And then as soon as I turned 18, he had me inside the mills. And that's like a whole different planet. It mo you know, most people never get to see what goes on there. It's just just like, a, like, you, like you're on a different planet 100%. Yeah, that's super interesting. How do you think that affected you and um, the work you try to do as an adult? I, I think so. He started taking me to... Um, the fab shop, um, you know, where the machine, the machines were rather large. They weighed in the tons and, and what they did is they moved chemicals into the, they injected chemicals into a bath of uh, molten iron to, you know, make steel, which is an alloy, you know, a bunch of elements in iron. And he had a good way of controlling that process early on in the electric arc furnace days. So you know, I would go to the fab shop and watch these things being built, you know, welding, fabrication, you know, heavy cranes. Um, and uh, I think it kind of de like desensitizes you to the fear of it. So you get comfortable with it. Because when I would take people when I got older into the steel mills, like for work, you know, as an engineering contractor, they were just like, holy shit. Like, what the what the hell is this? This is crazy. Because there's alarms going off all the time and 150-ton cranes running back and forth and molten steel flying all over the place. And it's, uh, you know, I was very comfortable in that environment. And I think that's true for all things when you're a kid. You know, if your dad puts you on a dirt bike when you're six years old, you, like, get over a lot of the fear of it that if you got on it when you were a doll, you'd be like, man, I'm going to get hurt on this thing. So you kind of get comfortable with the big, big industry. You know, and so, you know, get working on submarines and aircraft carriers after that were kind of cool to me. You know, I mean, that was kind of small time compared to a steel mill and, and the level of danger. So I think you acclimate a lot better when you're younger. So it gave me like a cool heads up there as far as operating comfortably in, in big, big industry, you know, as a small entity. Right. Yeah, absolutely. There's something to be said. Uh, you're right. It's like kid on a dirt bike or just being introduced to something at a very young age it's um you're more malleable and i think adaptable as a, as a young kid and then it and i mean if you just grow up seeing a certain thing i mean it can be anything it can be violence if you grow up seeing violent uh acts you know then you'll be more comfortable around that type of environment as well so yeah like good point you know what I mean? It's not just like what you're introduced to in a positive form, but it's kind of like the kids when they see stuff, their uh, nervous system kind of adapts to whatever that surrounding is. And they seem to be more comfortable in those type of things, you know, like like with the violence uh, example, you know, they may, could become a fighter or be an MMA or boxing or something because they kind of already become adapted to something like that. So pretty cool. And then you ended up um, going, uh, you worked in the service, right, for a while? Yeah, yeah, I got into uh, nuclear power. I, I think that came out of the evolution of asking a lot of questions of how things work. And my dad was chemistry. Um, so, you know, he used to talk about atomics, but he didn't have any practical experience with it. He was a big fan of that level, too. 
Um, so, you know, basically when I looked at what to do educationally in life, the conventional pathways, uh, of conventional university, like didn't make any sense to me. Like to me, I kind of already understood what we were going to, that would be review for me at that point. And I really, I was a big study of the military and my whole family had like military anecdotes in it. And uh, some NASA engineers who were ex-military that, you know, was my godfather. So, you know, he would stop over almost every night because we lived right by the John Glenn Research Center in the in a parkway uh, on a river. Um, and he would ride his bike, lived kind of a, in one town over. And so he would just stop and have coffee after work. And the conversation was wide open, you know, from rockets to the latest uh, aircraft technology to, you know, UFOs and whether they're real and that might work to, you know, the ETs who might be associated with them. So it was, you know, this is young again, like 10 years old all the way up through. And so for me, it was like in order to like really get more knowledge about more advanced technologies, the military was the only pathway that I saw. So. I took the time to test into some special programs and got in and, and, uh, certainly challenging and awe stricken. Uh, but it showed me something about like society versus and the way it works versus normal human abilities. And what I, what we accomplished like as a group, so you're talking like small numbers of people, um, going through the program, um, Almost everybody passes by the end. They do like 70% attrition right in the beginning, and that's by design. So they weed it out on purpose just so you don't have a headache of, I guess, like whiners and criers over the difficulty. But everybody almost passes on the latter half, and the amount of information and what they like, our stack of books on the dark side of nuclear power was like more books at the time than you would get in four years of college and we would cover that in like three months and so it seems impossible at first so it was like a super good lesson in like i was certain you know that i wouldn't be able to accomplish this compared to the normal standards but then you see everybody getting through it you know like 20 other people and only two or three are struggling and you're kind of like wow this must you know I guess human beings are way more capable than what we know. And I saw that immediately in the military. Um, that was probably the biggest takeaway from it is when I got out of, I didn't stay in a long time. Um, but when I got out, um, I kind of told everybody, like, you have no idea what you're capable of. Um, and I think some of the military get an elitism about that when you get into special projects. Like, it's my secret knowledge and nobody else knows and I'm special type thing. And so uh, they get a little egotistical about it and righteous, but I kind of just had like a human being collective view, like we're all just way more capable um, than we realize, you know, what our abilities are. So, yeah, that's amazing. And I can imagine it is interesting how much of a workload we can actually put on ourselves if we, we really, really want something. And um, that's cool because I do think I've known a lot of uh, military guys because I'm from a a little poorer community back home in Michigan and that seems like a lot of a, a way out for a lot of my uh, peers and stuff back then and you know they would come back Marines and stuff with with this kind of 
almost traumatized that they went over into a war or something, but then also egotistical of like their abilities and their capabilities. So it's cool that you had a more grounded approach when you got out of there. Yeah, I, I was one of them guys who was like really for the idealism of the military and, and the nuclear power where I worked. But then as I moved around in that sub-society of the military, let's call it, um, you know, the military definitely is not like, uh, how do I put it? It's not as equal across the board as they make it seem to be from the outside. And so there's like little sects or subcultures in the military that they just don't even really uh, go by the normal military standards. Um, mm. You know, Navy SEALs are kind of the same way. It's the same kind of programs where they wash they they wash out 70% of everybody on purpose in the beginning just to weed it down to who's got the desire. That's really what it is, is desire. It, it's not really your intelligence or your physical strength or any of that. When you see who makes it through and who doesn't, it would surprise you. And it's almost like either you're meant to do this or you're not type thing. And uh still requires effort, but once you get a groove in it, you kind of reground and reestablish uh, what your you know your level playing field is like like you said you can the workload is amazing uh, and you know I always told everybody I must have had a hangover from the military because most of my life especially when I got onto the water I really turned on like 18 to 20 hour days six seven days a week just getting it all done in three or four years so you know in a way like I accomplished some discovery and knowledge and experience working with water in three to four years that probably would have been normal, like doctorate lifetime stuff. And uh, I was already taking it to application, you know, building it and putting it to work. Uh, so, you know, yeah, it's cool. You can kind of brag on it, but at the same time, like everybody has the ability if they have the passion for it. Yeah, that's super interesting. So you took a lot of that um, work ethic into the water. Um, I know after you got out of the service, you kind of moved out. I think you said Montana. Is that right? You kind yeah, of moved out I, uh, in the middle of I nowhere? Flipped, yeah, I flipped the other way. Um, you know, it's weird how life works. And so, you know, I grew up on a river and I fished all my life and was just, by the time I was 14, all I wanted to do was fish and be out in nature. And so it was like a big change in my life. And then when I got you know, my driver's license at 16, I was just traveling all over the state of Ohio, like fishing everything I can fish. Like, you know, I'd fish the local river in the morning before school and after school, especially during the steelhead runs. And then, uh, and then on the weekends, I would just hop in my truck and, and, you know, just fished all over. And then that like grew out. Like I started fishing all over the country. Um, and then I went in the military more on educational, like, technical you know my family was in industry that's how we made our money so i had this like really big dipole of the heavy industry that was most responsible for destroying nature and then also being in nature and my goal was is like to go places where where no one no one went and so uh i moved to montana and i got some training mountain training as a mountain guide you know packing horses dealing with the the livestock and camp and a little bit of hunting and, and not so much fishing, but didn't need much help there, I don't think. And then uh, then ended up moving to Wyoming just because of, of a professional career of being a wilderness guide. 
um, was more viable there than Montana. And uh, the hunting was a lot easier, to be honest with you, because there's just so few people in Wyoming uh, and so much land. And I uh, had a real successful uh, professional hunting and fishing and wilderness guide career for about five years. And it was the only thing in my life that I recall that I was pretty good out of the box. Like didn't need like a lot of training or a lot, didn't have to work hard. I was just a really good hunter right out of the box. And it was driven from the philosophy of just go where no one else goes, which means hard work. Uh, you got to go through some rough terrain to get to where your goals are. And that was kind of the philosophy I ran is the, what people were looking to hunt didn't go in places, normal places, you know, that lived in hard to get to very remote places. And so, um, I got really healthy, um, being out in nature, uh, just observing. I didn't think a lot, which the flip side of my life in industry as an engineer is you're just constantly breaking down problems, thousands of variables, putting them together in a short period of time, and then making it work for somebody to the point of value. And a lot of what I tried to do in industry was increase efficiencies that, you know, reduce pollution and waste. Uh, and same thing in the hunting industry. I kind of, I was a little bit of an innovator in the way um, that we did things uh, because I was willing to go into really rough country. And the way the industry was, you had to pay a lot for land leases and permissions to hunt where the hunting was good and everybody fought over that. And I just was like, hey, I've I've been out in the rough back country and people won't get out of their vehicles when they hunt or off their four wheelers. And I think we can go in here and do well and not have to pay anybody to do this. And so we became very successful on the ethic of hunting honest and hard um, and being honest with people that, hey, if, you, if you're willing to like work for five days straight really, really hard, you'll have a good chance if you're not. And so, you know, in, in the process of selling and marketing and booking hunters, I used honesty, which was not the industry standard. Most industries showed you like a big giant deer and was like, you know, if you pay me X, this is yours and you'll probably get one. And that wasn't true. Um, but I remember being the happiest and healthiest I've ever been when I decided I was done with that five-year deal and uh, just knew I was done with it and didn't know where I was going to go or what I was going to do next. So I trained horses for a couple of years and worked on farms on the East Coast, spent a little bit more time around my family. Uh, and then, then ended up getting uh, married and getting back into engineering and industry as a way to make a living because the, the wilderness guide thing, you don't make a lot of money and it's, it's a lot of work. You know, it's 18, 20 hour days again, you know, very little sleep with a lot of body load. But that's what I'm saying. I ate as little as I've ever eaten in my life and I hiked all day long, almost every day for five, six months out of the year. And I was extremely healthy on a low calorie diet and, you know, 20 to 30 miles a day on the average, at least five days a week with a 40 pound backpack on. And I can't re ever remember being healthier and happier, like in essence, you know, just being there. It didn't have to work for it. It just was there. Wow. That's insane. Do you uh, credit that to kind of being like away from pollution, away from EMFs, eating food that you hunted and killed, that it's probably more rich in minerals and nutrients. Do you think that was part of the uh, why you were eating a lot less? 
Yeah, I think, well, part of why I was eating a lot less is because I was still pretty young and didn't have a lot of excess money and didn't understand the value of eating good. And the, the food mm -hmm. we would generally generally prepare was kind of cheap, like basic like stuff you'd eat when you were a kid back in the eighties, you know, like white bread sandwich with bologna <laughs> and mustard with, you know what? And I just didn't like that stuff. So I just went without it. And to be honest with you, I drank mostly like protein shakes, like expensive protein shakes. And, uh, so real, uh, little load on the liver and digestion. And then, like you said, the meat we ate was all from wild, not like farm, like in Ohio or Michigan, you got to watch where you hunt because a lot of those deer live off the the farmland and they all usually get cancer. They don't, they don't live very long. You know, you'll see tumors all over like field and corn feeding deer. Um, out, this was like wild, wild, you know, there was no, that happened out West too with the alfalfa fields, but the areas we hunted were like back, you know, like badlands, like way away from farms and you could see the difference in the quality of the because you have to butcher the animals take them apart skin them you know you learn a lot you learn a lot about organs and how they work and what disease organs look like i mean there's not that much difference uh between like other than maybe the the digestive system with the ruminants you know being like a four-part digestive system or three-part um rather than the you know single stomach um, you just learn a lot about biology. You learn a lot about, you know, the parts of the animal and how sinew and, and tendons can make things. So you learn a lot of like the native American kind of use everything. And I was always like super interested in that, you know, ever since I was young, I, I grew up Catholic. I really wasn't interested in that religion. It was kind of boring to me. So I studied native American. So Becoming a hunting guide was kind of part fulfillment of my polarized uh, dreams of what was natural to me and inherent, you know, in industry, because that was what my, the cool stuff my dad was showing me. And then I would say on the motherly side, you know, my mom was the disciplinary and like the mother energy of being on the river all the time and being in nature was teaching me something. But I, re I really didn't know it at the time. You know what I mean? I was just like, why do I like, why do I always want to be out in the woods alone? And why do I also like heavy industry? It doesn't make sense. The two seem to be in conflict with each other. It it, it took till later on in life to, to realize there was a really massive purpose in that. Yeah, it seems like it all uh, was for a purpose. I was just about to say that it all kind of came together in what you're doing now. And that's pretty interesting. And we'll dive into uh, that stuff. And I think, I believe you mentioned like when you were out there uh, doing a lot of the nature stuff is when you finally had like your first drink of real spring water. You want to explain that for people? Yeah. So, you know, I grew up a, a, a river that on a river that feeds to um, Lake Erie about, you know, it's probably about 10 miles uh, upstream and the water was considered warned of, you know, to be highly polluted. And they didn't even like me going, like standing in it, fishing when I was a kid. And I was just like, that's ridiculous. You know what I mean? The river probably wasn't the healthiest, but I remember drinking water from that river, even though they said it was poisonous. Don't do it. I, I wouldn't <laughs> take, I wouldn't take canteens with me fishing. I uh, wouldn't take water with me. I mean, the idea of bottled water when I was, 
11, 12 years old didn't even exist. It wasn't even there. Like, and, and the idea of buying it was even more ludicrous, but I didn't really drink the tap water. Um, so I probably went around dehydrated as a kid because uh, I didn't like the tap water. To me, there was something like seriously wrong with it and had negative biological effects when I drank it. And the only thing that would override that is really like extreme physical activity um, would seem like, you know, there's something about that, that if your body's doing that all day long, it can withstand a, a, a worse diet and, and worse water. Right. It, the movement um, is a very important factor in the body of keeping the body clean. So when you're really moving a lot, you can get away with a, a lot of uh, worse things, if you will. But the water was something I really avoided because I would feel good, but not be thirsty. And then I would drink too much of the bad water at once. And then I would actually be sick for like an hour. It would take me like an hour. And I'd have to go move to get rid of like the stomach ache or the stomach discomfort. I'd have to go move again to get it to fade away. If I sat around with it, like I don't feel good, I'm sitting around, it would linger. So I didn't really pay much mind to that other than I must be weird. I don't really like water. Um, but I would drink out of the, you know, the flowing sections, the oxygenated sections, you know, of the of the polluted river. And I never got sick once. And that water was way better than what was coming out of the tap. I knew it, but I just didn't tell anybody because there was this stigma in, in the whole neighborhood. I lived in probably a neighborhood is probably like 300 homes in a isolated section on a canyon plateau. So we were a bit isolated from like town and everything else and surrounded by the river and the, the, the small canyons. Um, and, and then, you know, I end up after the military at 24 years old, um, going out to Montana and it was a long hot ride. And I was already out of water. I emptied my canteen. The horses were sweating like horrible bad. And, and they hadn't been watered. Like six hours, I think, was the ride. And uh, so we knew we were coming up on water. And this is what I remember first. Is before I could see a sign of there being water, I sensed it. I could sense it. It was like 95 degrees and really uh, dry kind of odd weather for Montana. It's when they were starting to get their more heat waves. And uh, I sensed it and got off my horse and led my horse over to the water. And like, I just let go of the horse because I was like, this horse ain't going anywhere up here with this water. And when I got to the water, um, you could feel like a coolness. Like I was probably 50 yards from it on the side of a mountain uh, going uphill really steep. And from 50 yards away, you could feel the water. And then when we headed that direction, got over there, I dipped my hands down in the water. And, and what I remember most is the horse's eyeball, like right next to mine. And it was like communicating to me almost comically, like, oh, you've never had real water before. And the horse was just like, it's almost like you could feel the horse like charging up. Like, and, and it, to, to me, it was like so visceral and profound. And I remember going, oh man, there's like 6 billion people on earth and probably the vast 99% of them are never going to have real water. And it was the first time I would say that my mind said, this is real water, but uh, never put two and two together that I might work with it down the road. I just kind of laughed like what an ironic uh, I think my childhood and growing up, I was always watching, observing human society. And I, I, in the back of my mind, I was like, "None, this isn't going to work. 
this is hilarious that everybody is just going to do this over and over and over again. <laughs> and, but it's not, I know it's not going to work. And I would talk with my family about it and we would get in arguments about it. And I couldn't get anywhere there uh, with them about the way society was moving, what we were doing. And they just didn't think that big. They were just thinking about their home and getting by in their home. And I was kind of like looking at, I would be like, do other countries do it like this? And, you know, they'd be like, yeah, pretty much. And I'm like, wow, like, this isn't going to work. Like, this is bad. And so my, that was driving me to live like isolated in nature, just to get, not participate in it, just to get away from it. I didn't expect like to feel as good as I did or get healthy from that. Um, and I, I, by no means was, I was always into health. But I'm not like a health freak, like, oh, you can't eat this or you can't do that or you can't smoke cigarettes or you can't, you know, go ahead, have a good time. But be aware, you know, 90 percent of the time you, you kind of got to build a foundation that makes you feel good and makes, you know, makes you excited about life and makes you adventurous and you have that energy, you know. So that was like so important to me. And I didn't even really realize how that manifested i didn't know that my lifestyle was manifesting that you know and you know i was kind of like a navy seal i'd go out and hike 30 40 miles a day and then on friday saturday night i'd be at the honky tonk chasing girls smoking cigarettes and drinking <laughs> beer but it it had like zero effect on my health and like there i remember there would be professional athletes who would train to come mountain hunting and like they were like what the hell Cause I would just keep going, you know, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, there's an acclimation to this. You know what I mean? Your, your body antenna, you, you start absorbing energy from the environment more than you did before. And you, you know it, if it's happening, you just feel it and you sense it, you know, by what you do day in, day out. And you're like, I was like, man, I'm probably going to be worn out dead after this, you know, this run, you know, it's three months straight of no sleep and all this hiking and little eating and, uh, you know, other than getting a good night's rest is quite the opposite. You come out, come, come out of it very, very healthy. And I still, even drinking that water, I still didn't really recognize because I didn't think there was a way around it, I guess, is a good stopping point on, you know, that loop of my life is what was I going to do exactly to correct the water and well water, you know, out West, you're on a lot of well water and it was okay. Uh, in small amounts, it seemed like it was decent, but it was nothing like that 8,000 foot, 39 degree spring fed water, um, nothing like it. And, and so I was still kind of in a lull with water as far as what it is, what it means, what it means for my life and what it means for the planet, you know, still hadn't really got a grip on it at, let's just say 28, 29 years old at this point, 30 years old coming on. Mm. And so when was the real aha moment where you decided you were going to work with water? Um, I was asked to professionally evaluate a technology that claimed to improve gas mileage significantly and reduce emissions by a company that I did some side work for with electric cars. Um, I think we're going, let's circa the time here. Um probably like 2007 right in that window and so i was doing uh side work on electric car somebody had a old french electric car they were trying to bring back to life they 
they were like a golf cart dealer and they were getting into the early electric car movement and uh it was out of manufacture so nobody knew how to work on it so they brought me over to work on this electric car and then in that process they said hey you know you were a nuclear guy and consequently also race cars and got really deep into building uh race engines um, which is probably the greatest mechanical teacher of principle in my life. Um, there's things that go on in a race engine that are what we would call over unity as far as what they really are. And so at a young age, I had experience with breaking the laws of physics with racing engines and thought that was cool that that's going on like right in the middle of society, but nobody really knows or cares about it that, hey, you can break our physics laws severely with the cars you watch go around in circles on TV on Sunday. So there was my interest. And so I had an advantage because I knew how to do things vibrationally with motors. So I could always build more horsepower with very little experience in whatever category of racing I decided to be involved in. Um, at any rate, that that's kind of a little tangent there to support like how one thing totally seemingly unrelated um, can uh, explain things in a more clear manner. So it gave me the opportunity because I knew a lot about engines and I knew how to tune their behavior and diagnose their behavior. And so the first thing I saw with this device is, well, basically you just put water in it and some salt and, uh, and you know, you turn it on, give it a little power and you bleed it over to the engine. And immediately the engine drastically changes its, input parameters like scientifically and measure measurably like repeatably and so i told the people i go i don't know what this is exactly i got some suspicions that it's simpler than what it's being made out to be um but yeah it works like without even like really putting effort into it it works really well so at the same time my dad's family business was riding about 20 years on its product it's custom machinery that it put in mills so my dad you know he was getting a little older and he was like hey john uh you think you could develop a new product because you know we just need something new we're just been doing the same thing for 20 years and that was about six months before this water thing and so when i saw the water thing on the engine i pulled it all off and i had a little home lab a little private lab in the home uh, where i did engine testing and stuff like that so i put it in there and when I, I knew it had to be somewhat uh, combustible, and I didn't know much about it. So uh, first thing I do is just put it through a torch and light it off to see what it does. And that was the first moment where I was like, wait a minute, I think this is just water. This isn't, this isn't what it's being sold as, one. And two, this is not a normal combustion flame. This is more like a laser. And three this thing has awareness of what it's working on, you know, and I know that from industrial process and what you call process and integral derivative loops was, which is basically the basis of AI, artificial intelligence. Um, AI is nothing new. We were doing it back in the fifties. Um, it's just a lot of parallel AI. Uh, so you have higher resolution with your data control points, but nothing's changed with AI. It's, I think it's important because there's a natural intelligence in water I call an authentic intelligence. Um, and it's very simple. 
but it's very harmonious and uh, can become very, very powerful, almost scary powerful, and therefore like almost dominates every form of aggression that's applied to it in some way. It's it's strange, uh, or not, if you think about it being the fundamentals of the universe. If you think about it that way, it's like, okay, this thing has like special abilities to preserve itself and life. And at that moment, I knew uh, when I started developing that machinery to an industrial level, um, which what was being sold on the marketplace worked, but it was completely done by rookies who don't understand professional scale and and how to operate that. And I'll take, well, if you're 20 years old and you're operating a nuclear power plant, you definitely understand that if you're properly trained. So I had kind of an edge in the early days of what water is and what water isn't as far as its hardcore capabilities. Um, and I just knew for a fact that I saw intelligence in the water and I saw it do things that a team of the best engineers and computer programmers that I could find in the world could not even come close to doing what the water was doing. It would take a hundred years of development. And I don't even think we would remotely get it. And that's when I was like, well, nature knows better. No matter how good you are, no matter how much you know, like nature knows better. There's an intelligence in water. And then I started, this is going to sound crazy, but I couldn't make improvements that I objectively needed to make to go to uh, steel, to big seal, which operates 24 seven. You know, they might shut down like one, one to two weeks an entire year for, you know, maintenance. But other than that, they're 24-7 all year long. And uh, in order to work there, it had to be precise. And there was a phenomenon going in the on in the water where the water would get tired and then it would refuse to work. And, and then I would try and whip it, beat it, shove it, push it in, into work through electrical vibrations. And it would just get stronger and stronger at not working. And eventually it would destroy all your equipment which is, it was expensive, uh, computers, switching devices, oscilloscopes. If you pushed on it hard enough for long enough, it would send out an EMP and like destroy everything. And not violently, it just, none of it would work anymore. It would erase all your crystals and jam up all your transistors and make everything stick. And we witnessed this phenomenon, you know, uh, over and over. It wasn't like a single case. Um, so at that point, I knew for sure that we cannot generate enough power to push and shove water. It must be a different method. And it must not involve what we define as power. It must be something else. And so I started to work with the water like it was a person. And I said, if I was a person, how would I want this to go down? And I want to achieve X with this water. And so what I started doing was like so, tiny, small changes in the direction that I wanted to go with the water to achieve what I wanted to, to do as a design parameter for, you know, large scale steel mill operation using like an intelligent laser. We called it a flaser. We hybridized the term laser and flame into flaser uh, because it wasn't exactly like a laser, but it had a lot of characteristics of a, of a laser and a flame. Uh, but really what it was, was a state of implosion which was the first time I ever worked with implosion in a sustained mode. 
I worked with Implosion by collapsing Steam uh, for efforts and never really got anywhere because you couldn't really sustain it that well as a cycle, as a a motive means of force. This was totally different. So it opened up like a new universe with Implosion. um, And then witnessing all this and then making ground by what I would say is teaching the water, meaning hey, we don't have to assume the water's consciousness is the same as our complicated consciousness. It might, water might be a lot simpler. So incremental changes and, and it would start to work. The water would mutate itself to work as long as I was incremental and made small changes, gave the water rest overnight. You could not run it continuous yet. And that was the problem is you could not, the water would learn, behave with a high level of efficiency but then it would learn on a level where it could run for two to three, maybe four hours is all I could get out of it. And then you'd have to shut it down and let it rest for at least like 18 to 24 hours. And 24 hours was the best uh, rest. And uh, and that wouldn't change. I tested that for like a year. I would come in in the morning, turn the machine on, let it saturate where it started to get hissy and fussy and tired. And I knew why it was getting tired. I mean, at this point, I studied more deeply, you know, Tesla and was looking at what he was doing and what the water was doing. And I'm like, okay, so the water is pretty much doing what Tesla was doing. Um, it's already doing it. Um, and then I started to really study Schauberger and Tesla and, and Walter Russell and John Keeley and all these more esoteric uh, people. But in the terms of Schauberger and Tesla, they both absolutely practically achieve things they didn't just talk about it and write about it so i end up with achieving 24 7 operation at much higher levels of efficiency is what happened so when i quit applying conventional power to water and started using uh, vibrational means that usually nobody does neither uh, everybody was doing high frequency higher higher more more frequency type mentality and that worked for certain things but it was also like agitative to the water And so what I did is put in like really low frequencies, like human heartbeat impulses, like one hertz, like maybe some Schumann stuff, you know, but in the end, like the really certain low frequencies just brought the water to life and stopped all the overtiring. And uh, at that point, I knew I had something and achieved something and and ended up uh, kind of going off into natural action uh, as it formed, as I was sharing all my work with, with natural action and the original founder and then uh over time i just ended up taking over natural action because it seemed more fitting it seemed more rewarding to try and go back to when i was 24 and i drank real water for the first time and uh really quite honored to try and help other people do that and continue to study it that's amazing what a crazy story so it seemed like everybody was you know not really thinking about water as this living type of being and just trying to force everything as we would in most industrial plants. And then you took an outside of the box approach. Um, How did you land on studying things like Tesla and Victor Schauberger and stuff like that? Uh, Simply because electrodynamically, meaning where the vibrations we're putting on water, if we can see them in any way, shape or form on a, on a, what you call an oscilloscope or a vibratory measuring device. Um, there has to be induction. There has to be some level of saturation, we would call it or fullness or over fullness as it usually is. By the time we see it fill up and show up, it's, 
in most circumstances it's over full already but since water like if it's not a lot water then it'll mutate to a bigger cup and go okay you can put more in here now without saturation so what water was constantly doing was avoiding the saturation condition and I, if I if I give an analogy, it's if we have a room and uh, it's X amount of volume and we put people in it, right? And there's one floor and we put everybody shoulder to shoulder and there's one door in and one door out. Um, if you go to move that fast, it won't move very fast. It can't because um, it's saturated. It's full. And, and then so what water does is create another floor. But it, when you measure it, it doesn't seem to take up space creating another floor. You, like, you can't find any correlation that the water made more space, but it's acting as if there's a whole other floor. So what we would call them is like latent um, dimensions of the atomic state. And that's when I started to realize like water wasn't really an atom or wasn't hydrogen and oxygen anymore. It was a uh, kind of a universal gateway to other layers that where the laws were different. It didn't follow the same rules as we're given, even in non-conventional physics, right? Because I can tell you for a fact, the physics that everybody learns even through postgraduate is not, doesn't have the same rules as the physics of nuclear power. So nuclear power opened up the door in practicality for my mind to accept that there's whole different laws. And so did the internal combustion engine and so when you're fishing in a river and you finally see a trout elevate up, up a waterfall where it couldn't physically jump, it did something that electrically propelled it up into, you know, the next layer of, of strata, right? A new dimension for the trout, like all the trout are below in this pool, thousands of them trying to get up higher to the next ledge, the waterfall, and they can't. But every now and then one does. And they're, they all don't do it. They, they all don't do it. The one, the one that I saw succeed tried like, I, I actually was sitting on a rock about mid waterfall and I was watching this thing jump and make it like four feet up and it would get stuck. And this was a straight up and down. But every time it tried, it would like levitate for longer. It would like hold still. And it was trying harder and harder at first. And then it stopped like trying so hard. It wasn't pumping. It started like pumping at a higher frequency, like with less movement. And then all of a sudden it just went wham and went up, up the stream. So what Victor Schauberger described is an anti-gravity method by the fish. Uh, it's really anti-resistance or turning resistance into motion. It's kind of like a keto, um, you know, use the energy of the opponent to propel, you know, thy self-strength. Mm -hmm. And I watched that happen I, way before I knew about Victor Schauberger. So at some point I was like, wow, the universe has given me gifts to tie all my, like, why am I doing this? Why am I in the middle of nowhere being a fishing guide right now? And uh, little anecdotes like that all start to tie together. And uh, to me, it was just uh, inspiring revelation that was a gift. It wasn't me, like, in my skill discovering it. It was just me, like, not blocking it with my mind and being persistent about the curiosity of it about what is going on here. And uh, then I m made some calculations and found some patterns. And then it became like scientifically validated that water is intelligent and it has algorithms in it. So like the whole, that was like 2011 where that all culminated. And I was like, 
that just changed my life forever. Like there was no, I don't wake up any day and go, what's my purpose? What should I do with my life? I'm kind of sick of this. You know, it's, I'm just going with it. And, uh, it's no different than anybody else, uh, in life. I don't think it's just, I don't really question the path and direction that I'm on in the finite, or I guess in the broad sense, it's kind of like going down a river, like I'm in the right river and I can move around in this river and I can even get out and take a break and get out of it. But I'm happy to go down this river wherever it goes, like plum happy, don't really feel the need to go anywhere else. That's amazing. And I love when people are uh, wake up every day with passion and purpose. It's it's awesome. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show. So I want to actually start um, diving into water. And most people, they're just drinking, you know, bottled water, tap water, whatever. They're not really thinking about water. Um, what would you say the job of water is? Um, basically, it's to uh, harmonize dipoles to create something more synergistic than either polarity on its own. Um, and it's all things. It's not like just people or animals or plants. It's down to the atoms and it's down to the sub quantum energy. I mean, you'll hear people talk about quantum a lot. I mean, we've been in a quantum confusion of materialism uh, forever. Um, you know, as far as like written history goes, like there's nothing new about quantum. Uh, people are even con con uh, confused as to where the quantum state is and isn't. But bottom line is, is you can't quantify life. It's a many variable uh, condensing synergy of just infinite amount of variables that come down into your soul that condenses everything you observe and experience and becomes, you know, the uh, the hard drive, if you will, the operating system of, of the body you're in. Um, the body's, you know, can, grounding to the soul and the soul's got the program of what, what's supposed to go on here. And if those two synergize, it's good. And water would like play the role between synergizing with the soul and the and the body, um, or between this atom and that atom, uh, and and basically, it doesn't have any judgment. So that's the hard part for people to get is there is no good or bad with water. There is just harmonizing what is, and that's its job. In order to do that, it has to listen, and it has to be able to communicate. And so the whole basis of of I, I don't like the term structured water because it doesn't really mean anything on its own and marketing has abused it and people make up all sorts of stuff and some of it's true, but if they're overselling it, then I kind of consider it to be fraud. You know, possibility is one thing on the average is another. That's where being an engineer and being scientific helps in, in having a long marketing game and being honest about where we are with our understanding of it. And it doesn't go a hell of a lot beyond that as far as what water's purpose is, in my opinion, is to really nail it down. And I think, you know, I hear a lot of other scientists and doctors and companies speaking like that now. Um, Ten years ago, I, nobody was really saying that. And I'm not saying that out of egotism. I'm saying that out of this is the factual conclusion that got gifted into my face to where I couldn't ignore it. And that's what the drive is, is, you know, I, I'm grateful and have gratitude for the gifts I was given. And it was only just because I was persistent and had the desire to dive down in that tunnel of water to see how deep it would go. And it goes deep enough to drown you. You know, I'm not going to say this was all like 
there was some when you get deep down into the layers of spirituality and and get closer to the soul level you know and i guess for an analogy uh the soul i would say is the tree trunk and the spirits are the branches and the soul could also be like the foundation or the equilibrium where the tree is rooted and then your mirror image can be underground where the poles kind of change on you the rules of the game kind of change the rules down there are no light you know coolness darkness that's where everything is breeding in the foundation right so i don't have this like fear of darkness you'll never hear me say like oh we need to move into the light and i'm like why i'm like without the darkness you wouldn't even be able to see light yeah you know they can, <laughs> the darkness is just foundational and that's like a water view like water actually like preserves itself better in darkness uh and and it likes a little bit of light to come to maturity at at the middle of its life cycle but it, it really doesn't like bright light or standing out in the sun that's the end of its life cycle which is also the beginning so it starts to simplify and you you open your mind up when you really lock in with the water is it a, a sacred element, a spiritual being. Uh, and I, I honestly, I just couldn't make any scientific improvements until I treated water like a spiritual being, like I, like the golden rule. Like, how would I want to be treated here? And the advances were massive once I started to do that. Wow, that's incredible. And uh, I haven't heard anyone ever explain water like that. And I, that's why I wanted to ask you a question like that. Super uh, fascinating. And so um, why don't we get into uh, explaining the difference of kind of like what you call like living or dormant water or revitalized water. Explain the difference for people and uh, what they are. Okay, so I'll start here. The marketing back in 2010 with the very few people who were doing this successfully used the language dead water. They didn't really use living water. They they would just talk about, you know, the water's dead and these technologies bring it back to life. And uh, I guess, like, you, you don't know much at this point, right? I, I, I'm not in the business, so I don't know the worldwide industry yet. I just know natural action technologies and I know I had some problems with tired water. Um, I knew it wasn't dead because if you just let it rest, it would kind of come back to life, right? So it's just like, okay, this water needs rest just like a person does. And then I'm thinking, well, a person's mostly water. I wonder if when you're like tired and start to malfunction, if it's a change in the state of the water in your body. And my answer to that question was definitely yes. And and then this kind of kept going. I wonder if a cell's root reason for malfunction has to do with the water, in, the, in what we would call a standing pattern or standing wave pattern, like the geometric, uh, more male structure, the skeleton of the water's energy inside. And and I already knew it had the ability to store that. So, you know, here we are at, at, at that point and then trying to bring that forward, you know, throughout the journey, which is a total wild one. Um, I kind of went off on a little tangent there. So re-guide me as to get more pointed yeah i was just trying to say kind of break down the actual difference of like the living and the um dead water you're talking about how they use the yeah water. yeah okay. what is the actual difference uh, okay so um i'm gonna bring it in in terms of adaptability um 
And and I guess the easiest way to understand this is just think of the human being and what goes on when the human being loses energy and gets sick uh, or gets stuck in sickness and what's causing that. And so the difference, number one, we'll, we'll take it objectively, is there's a German scientist um, and he, he tested our portable device uh, in 2012, our, our newer model. We, that was right when we came out with our newer model, which used a, a lot of uh, crystal dielectric formula in the flow form. Um, and just to clear that up, a flow form makes the water flow like in the same patterns that a river does, uh, like a pocket water mountain stream. Um, it's got all that motion in it, even though it's not exactly like a stream, it's kind of compressed where it has a toroidal motion and a, and a turbulence like that, the, that the trout experiences when it's, you know, uh, effortlessly sitting still and fast moving water. So there's all these physics attributes that are there in the idea of living water. And so there's a, a you know, a trigger, right? Certain motions will trigger water to uh, lose its stress and free up energy for that antenna pattern. And so this German scientist basically would do this almost alchemic process of distillation and can't and incantations and uh, calcinations and separate everything out between the two water samples and then put it back together and put the uh, mineral residue from the water. Even if it's distilled, there's still mineral. So he had this controlled way of putting a light amount of the original mineral back in the water and using the mineral is what we would call a standing wave pattern witness. And he would put a drop under the microscope and let it evaporate and at a certain time during the evaporation, the crystals would show this fixed pattern. And then he went around the whole world and he took samples of, okay, the city says this water's toxic, don't drink it. Let's test this and what's the pattern in it. And basically globally, he found a basic pattern that showed what we would call like a uh, chronic illness in the human being. And then he later found it in the blood too with chronically ill, so-called chronically ill people. So this became one of the pillars of health or non-health or life or end of life um, that was carried in the water and also carried in the blood, which is mostly water, which is kind of a copy of seawater, um, ocean water, if you will. The blood is very close to. And so that that whole cycle from underground to high altitude to down the river to out back out to the ocean gets real small in your head about what makes water alive and what doesn't. And so that was, that's one method of, okay, this guy found X patterns or 90 degree patterns in water that was toxic. And that water, if drunk and had toxins in it, those toxins were able to get at your body because your body is not adapting anymore. It's the water in your body. Is, it doesn't have a memory of being alive anymore. So you're in like a death cycle or an end of life cycle. But like I said, in the end, you don't see a death cycle anymore. You see it, take it apart and rebuild it again to get better quality. And so if you don't have adaptability and your environment's changing, um, the environment can push you with stress. Like we were pushing on water to change. Um, but if you don't change, that won't work and it'll become more tiresome. 
Secondly, in the quantification of living water versus dormant water, um, I started using the term dormant water, that the water has gone dormant like your grass in the winter. And what do we need to do to get the grass to grow? Well, you need a few variables, right? And light isn't really one of them at this point with revitalizing water. Uh, it can be, but this first process is get the water back to flowing in the correct way, which in pipes, it's saturated. We talked about that earlier with electricity and made a people analogy of filling up a room with a door and a door out. And our electrical systems, our energy systems are taught in that way that that we have to fill up the room completely before we can start to empty it out. And that's not true. And water showed me that for sure um, when it was adaptable. And you can watch the water adapt actually and record it and see how it adapts. And And so now make this human body correlation that your body is a device that's desi designed to support the idea of living water. Um, and water is designed to support your body and its reformation, which regeneration, which goes on all the time. And so if you're drinking water that's adaptable and living, your body can be in an adaptive strategy, kind of a parasympathetic versus sympathetic uh, nervous system situation, which you'll hear a lot of more leading doctors talk about that. Hey, when you get autoimmune, you're stuck in this nervous system state. And your body's high on cortisol, high on adrenaline, low on thyroid. There's like a pattern that shows up. And it doesn't matter what kind of sickness it is. But basically, you've built a container of water that its job is no longer to regenerate your tissue. Its job is to help break down your tissue to a higher quality because you're signaling you're coming to the end of your life cycle. And, and, and so now it's being broken down to your soul can go on, you can refeed the earth. And that is happening more and more often according to conventional science and, and med medicine is that they're estimating that 50% of, of human beings in the United States are diagnosed with a chronic condition. We also know that's a lie and that's black magic and that's designed to get your mind in the game working against you. Uh, but the, it is a difficult state to get the body out of and taking pills and all that stuff is just going to make it worse. Um, so, you know, water is the foundation of life in the essence that if you keep it adaptive and keep putting that into the body, it will uh, make efforts to adapt to regenerate better than before. But it's it's just the foundation. You have to change your lifestyle to build the superstructure and uh you know, feel good, you know, have energy to, to do things that might seem extraordinary long days and still be happy and excited and enjoyment. And the last objective on that living water, um, which with that German scientist method is easy to pick out when the water becomes alive again, it makes patterns that look like you, things you see in nature, like leaves, like six sided things, like sea urchin looking things. Our device happens to make, um, we use a quartz, a very specific type of quartz from the globe, uh, be considered an ancient quartz, like that was uh, born of the ocean. And uh, uh, it's got a very different shape under the microscope to it compared to most quartz. It has like a very articulate structure. And ironically, when you test like the device and you look at the right angle pattern, tap water was the control. And you put it through the device, you get this like sea urchin made out of quartz uh, crystal formations almost. 
and has a very profound effect on the water when you freeze the water, completely changes the freeze patterns of the water, um, completely changes the pattern, obviously, on the crystal analysis, and then really changes the UV spectroscopy scans around 200 nanometers, which is one where oxygen is more um, absorbent around 200 nanometers. And so that indicates there's more oxygen free in the water in the scan region. And then secondly, um, under the atomic force microscope, recently there have been collabor or corroborating but not collaborating discoveries of 100 nanometer cells that water forms out of itself, which I think comes from a, a nitrogen interface. Uh, meaning water starts simulating the structure of a protein, which is really uh, hydrogen, carbon, oxygen, and nitrogen are the requirements to make a protein. And nitrogen is kind of like the equilibrium point between oxygen and hydrogen from a chemistry and atomic standpoint. Um, so at this point, you get water building the building blocks of life, and it will pair up at 200 nanometers. These cells are like magnetically attracted to pull together so two come together and then two and two get together and make four and four and four and so on right it goes exponential and you see water under the atomic force microscope by cellular structure the beginnings of life like algae it's there's no different than algae or cancer or any other single cell without a nucleus but somehow it's forming um structure um that's articulate uh, double spirals, uh, bacillus-looking bacteria, oblong bacteria. Um, and these are made out of, like, thousands of cells. Like, you would see, like, out of Klamath Falls, like volcanic algae, you see these complex structures of thousands of single-cell non-nucleus, which is the definition of cancer, right? Um, that's how they define cancer, is your cells are no longer have a nucleus, and more of them have no nucleus than not, so you have a growing form of cancer and at stage five you almost have no new nucleus reforming in your cells that is the definition of cancer scientifically um, and that's the same thing that happens to a human baby so i ended up studying the human gestation period uh because the uh it's what it's a water womb with cancer growing in it and somehow the cancer knows how to take shapes um and, it, and it's really weird. Like you turn into a lizard at one point. Um, you have a tail uh, for this first like nine weeks before you, you get DNA. And then at like nine weeks, a pancreas forms and it's you start producing DNA. So there's a huge correlation between water and the brewing of all life and being the RNA for the DNA that forms. And NASA just admitted that, that uh, like, Two months ago in an article, NASA admitted that likely water is the RNA in space that causes life. And I would say likely space is also water. It's just less less dense. So in other words, we're saying water is the ether. It's just the physical embodiment of it. It's not H2O. Wow, that's insane in the way it can be broken down and all the different ways that water can be explained. And for people who might not have caught some of that, um, what he's saying, like right angle water, we're kind of talking about like city tap water, um, using a lot of right angles as far as the pipes go. And that kind of stresses the water so that it doesn't hold the structure that he's talking about. But in nature, you wouldn't see it like that. It's free flowing, it's getting uh, hitting different rocks and waterfalls. And so 
when water is allowed to kind of move in its natural form, it's going to hold more of this crystalline like structure that he's talking about, which is basically um, what they're seeing under a microscope. So when he's looking at the city tap water and this what he calls dormant water, um, it shows some of these like right angle patterns or more toxic patterns that we see in chronic disease. And but when we either use natural spring water or something like uh, one of his natural action devices that can restructure the water, which we'll get into later, uh, we start to see more crystalline like uh, structures. And if you want to go on his website, it's pretty bizarre, the difference, like the before and after photos, if you take a look at that. And for me, just like it doesn't take much understanding to realize that you would want the more harmonious kind of crystalline like structure. Um, that would seem more peaceful, more energetic. It would just seem to work with the body more than the dormant water. Is that kind of a good breakdown, you would say? Yeah, I mean, perfect. Uh, the straight pipes themselves, even without right angles, and, and really even simpler than that, is the way we pump water is backwards of the way uh, nature dominates its forces. So we pump water centrifugally, which means in separation. We try and push it outward and really want water wants to be together more than any other substance on earth. That's why everything's made out of it. Um Yeah, it's just as simple as that. If there's one what is the most common substance on earth? If you were like an alien not familiar with earth and you got to take a spatial view and you're looking down at earth and you see this big blue ball. And you know nothing about it. If you were like an engineer, the first thing you would study is what's this thing mostly made out of? So if I wanted to study a human being, I would say, what's this human being mostly made out of? The answer is water, the planet, mostly water. So that becomes like the foundational transition between what we would call dormant matter, right? Stuff that just sits there like a rock, doesn't do anything. It's not biologically alive. So we think actually the rock is biologically alive, but that's another topic. And 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 then transition through what we see as an animal or a plant or something that grows that we can witness in our time period. Um, it's very distinct that that is the transitional foundation between non-apparent living and living, and then also how it converts to something else. So in all of this, Victor Schauberger was great about teaching this better than anybody. And so there's no such thing as just a duality to bring an understand. Duality will always get you confused because one side can be right one day and then wrong the next. And that's how it works. And so you're looking at, you know, this 50 50 of right and wrong in these extremes and both the end of a duality. But to bring logic to it, you have to at least go to what I call four poles or the square. And if we look at it like this, that water has a role of breaking things apart. It has a state of that. And it's in nature, it happens every fall when the sun cycles go shorter and it triggers the water to change to, okay, it's time to change the microorganisms and support the ones that break things apart. But there's a quality version of that, a high quality version of that, and a low quality version of breaking things apart. How do you know? Because next cycle, you should see things be better, be healthier, produce more, be more vibrant be bigger. Like you can see this with plants. Uh, you can see it with human beings too, if you pay attention to yourself. And then on the other side, you have the, the integrative, the making or regenerating, freezing, making solid 
of that which is being put together. And there's a low quality version of that and a high quality version of that. And water is always trying naturally to be the higher quality version of assembly and disassembly and too much stress, period. Stress being entropy, pressure, too much heat, too much pressure, uh, too much light, too much radiation, that's stress on the water. And it will take a little bit of stress. So think of the human being, like a little bit of motivation and stress is good for the human being. If everything's entitled and you don't have to work for it, and there's never a downfall to kind of nudge you forward, you'd probably rest on your laurels and not develop as, as anywhere near what you could. Uh, so a little bit of stress, the water likes a little bit of pressure, a little bit of light uh, relative to what we're doing on a regular basis to it and a full life cycle, just like a human being would prefer a full life cycle, like a being youth coming to maturity, aging and gaining wisdom, and then starting the whole process over again, coming back in a higher quality than before. So when you look at it, like from a self-perceived introspect water is way easier to understand the idea of living uh, versus dormant and how it never dies and it can be easily spurred to come back to, to life with the right things right so i mean just look at grass it goes dormant over a winter survives just fine doesn't grow waits for uh longer days and uh, it can tolerate a lot of direct sunlight compared to water the water in that equation during the day is hidden underneath the grass right and so grass being the kind of exception of, of, hey, it likes to be have open sunlight where a lot of other things, too much sunlight kills them. A lot of the trees and plants that are younger, you know, are deep. That's part of deforesting problem is there's not enough water in the mountain and direct sunlight is shining on the pine trees. So our wood quality has gone down every year since we delogged everything, you know, so you start to see this. Uh, you know, you might call that a tangent, what I just talked about with the effect of this, how it affects the trees and it's related to logging and how we log it related to our diets. It's related to our, you know, our activities and water is just a synergizer of supporting, you know, the healthier side of, of things. And, and it's, you can see it in every direction. So you kind of get this like unified model through water of how to, uh, I guess to sum it up, most of the world was looking at taking things apart to understand them better, which, you know, as a mechanic, as an engineer, you have to constantly break things into pieces for the purpose of putting them back together with a better quality. And that that's a little bit of an analogy there. Um, but once you get that, it applies, you know, everywhere where it's objective and subjective. It's creative and logical kind of the male female energy balance all in one and, and if you make a few rules for how you observe life knowing that water has this desire to put things together more than it takes things apart and so nature always dominates with creativity not logic so you get this logical foundation but that's just to leap up to the next foundational layer which is a new type of thinking a new type of foundation and and once you take that consciousness on with water in my opinion, there's 100% support for the mind, the body, and the soul, that spiritual, you know, uh, triangle, if you will, um, that connects all that together. And it makes life a lot easier. You almost feel like you're cheating a little bit, but it's really that easy. That's how nature is designed. It's, it's not designed to fight itself 24-7 like we're told. 
that's like the first thing you see when you go out in nature is like there's not a lot of fighting going on here <laughs> at all. Yeah, it's probably really intricately designed, and I always feel that way when I'm out in nature and camping and doing stuff like that as well. Um, super interesting, and it's, I wanted to ask kind of like if – why do you think if like these Victor Schaubergers, like he's his work's 100 years old or whatever. You had me uh, – you mentioned him a few times in your podcast, so I ended up watching like an hour-long documentary on YouTube that was like attributed to his work and displayed a bunch of his work and they were putting these uh different boulders in these rivers that were kind of like uh and it was like restructuring and rebalancing the nature out there and so if we've known about this stuff for like a hundred years why do you think we haven't kind of implied it or applied it to like any of our water until recently um in the end to simplify that answer I would say that in the bigger cycles, like maybe if we look at like the Mayan calendar and like a 5,000 year cycle rather than an annual cycle or a, you know, a hundred year cycle, that there's periods uh, of learning or evolution that kind of favor the other energy. Um, and so in a black magic way, if somebody takes that direction and twists the laws and the rules and programs the computer portion of your mind um, with only half the story, then you get this energetic collective momentum that doesn't see things. It only sees things based on the rules it's been taught and what it's experienced. And so if you, if you don't go seek the rule breaking of the fundamental, what is considered to be the fundamentals of physics, right? If you're not interested in breaking those rules, Simply because something inside of you says, I don't believe this is the limit. I don't believe we're stuck with this. And so that was my mentality um, growing up was I didn't see limitation. I saw, ooh, you know, we should be like having spacecraft fully developed by the time I'm older. That's what I thought like is, oh, yeah, I can totally see how like UFOs and spacecraft could not run on like stupid, you know, hydrogen you know, uh, it is water in a way, but it's the wrong form of energy again. It just doesn't work in the long run. It's kind of stupid if you think about it, like shooting missiles up into space with all that force. And then they're just stuck up there and there's all this complication, right? So it, it leads a little bit to everything in the, in the sense uh, of how you approach. And that is the root of it, in my opinion, you get into the spiritual level, that's where it's more like, hey, that side had favor. The more what would people would call the dark side who don't see the value in it. And I'm like, well, no, go get the value out of the dark side. Like the Mayans were great at teaching the value of the under, what they called the underworld. Um, and actually some people say like the spiritual progression is inward into the underworld to so-called discover the the light, which just means like clarity and understanding rather than mystery. And uh, both of them drive the whole system. And um, and I will say, I'll preface it with this. The universe has its purpose in individual development and collective development. And those two are overlapping, but they're not like mutually overlapped. They're not 100%. There's a little, let's just say 30% overlap there. 
between the collective consciousness and the individual consciousness and how those two wind together. And uh, it's a little more difficult and we're coming out of that period now. And I could correlate it to like the water, like the water's in a stuck state of stress. We just came out of a long period where the human collective is in a learning, hard learning curve in a stuck state of stress. And now we're gaining the tools as the, the curtains are, are pulling back and a new stage is being set. So we're just in a newborn opportunity for the human collective right now, even though it's this pattern has happened in the past many, many, many times. In our recent history, it's not really been a good opportunity to come forward with the fringe, uh, the limits, the next level too early. And in every case, Tesla, Schauberger, Keeley, Walter Russell, their their lives are basically ruined by by the resistance to that knowledge coming forward. And there's good arguments on both sides of, of why and when and how this understanding should happen in the collective. And uh, I started out angry and motivated to get everything out that I could. And I started with, I'm going to do the action first and then talk about it. That was just always my way because I knew if you talked about things in an argument and you didn't have real world experience with what you were arguing, you would most likely eventually lose the argument. Um, and so I knew there was a resistance and it's what I wanted to do. So I had to gradually uh, change my lifestyle away from like kind of working in the dark, working in, I don't want to say secret, but not really trying to come out with it to establish it before I would be ready to come out and share it with people. And that, that was quite a process because uh, mostly it was frustrating for me because I would talk about it and people would just glass over and be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Even if I explained it like really simple, if I showed people things that their mind could not deny that they would attribute almost to magic that are very common principles that nature uses all day long, people just don't recognize them. I, some very smart businessmen would come to the lab and I would do demonstrations. And literally when we would go to lunch to discuss how to move forward with business, they would be stuttering. Um, they couldn't get out a clear sentence. They were just like so knocked off balance from their paradigm that they couldn't even operate in normal business. They were like, oh shit, because they would see how it would fit and how it would change society. And they were like, oh my God, we're like going up against the machine. Like, like you can't introduce this without totally refuting what the machine has been doing. And, you know, we, the machine is the nickname for like the big banking system and heavy industry and all the centralization that's gone on over the last, you know, four or 500 years, really probably and in, in aggressively in the last 200 years. And so it's a tool um, and a relationship with the divine that really hasn't been offered directly through any religion or even mystery school because they all leave out the water. They talk about geometry and sacred geometry. And then lo and behold, you know, we find out that the sacred geometry is emitted from a black hole. Stephen Hawking, you know, showed the flower of life in cold micro pattern, showed that to the world before he died. And they scoffed at that. Like that's ridiculous. That's too simple. That's stupid. It doesn't mean anything all the way to that behavior existing in water. And, you know, for me, my desire to study unified modeling, because that's where me and my dad were headed in our discussions of observing chemistry 
and talking about atomics, it was like unified modeling. I wanted to know how the universe worked. And uh, that was an on and off journey. But with the water, that became kind of one of them things like, well, I drank living water for the first time when I was 24. I don't know what that means, really, what to do with it, other than I know there's a huge difference. The moment it hit my body, it was a huge difference, you know, all the way to how we design machines, equipment, use technology, uh, and how that all culminates today, you know, is it's just so much of a gift. I'm, I was kind of an introverted person. I like to be out in nature alone. Uh, doing a podcast or speaking in any way outwardly to a group of people I felt like what I had to talk about was not useful for the group of people. And, and for me, this kind of says there's a little bit of fate and rhythm like music that, all right, now's the time to go jam. And uh, it's not that hard to really adapt to being more extroverted and enjoying sharing certain things. And that's what changed in me like huge where I was like, Hey, if I'm, if I have the desire to go outward and speak to rooms of doctors and do podcasts and, all this stuff, like I'm really content with what I discovered through the gifts of the universe and nature and, and really sharing them is a duty, uh, get over like the discomfort of, of sharing things that you consider to be like private or very close to you or almost like your own secret knowledge, you know, that you cherish cause it's your own, you know, and, and like now it's like, this was a gift meant to be shared. So that's the best way to explain it overall. That's beautiful. And I actually like the outlook there because I think too much in society, we're just focused on everything that's been going wrong. And your kind of explanation is, hey, maybe we need to tear down society quite a bit just to start to learn different technologies and ways that we can build it back up in a better way. And I think we see this a lot in like the regenerative agriculture, you know, the uh, permaculture communities and you know, now with the water and just different uh, spiritual, uh, I feel like awakenings that are happening in people, a lot more people interested. And I mean, whether it's yoga or meditation or just things that I feel like even 10, 20 years ago, no one was really paying attention to. And then our ability to also, like you said, uh, display this information out to whether it's a small community like mine or a bigger community and people are listening and actually trying to take action on a lot of the stuff because there's a little bit too much doom and gloom. And I like to focus more on solutions and how we can move forward. And, uh, you know, everything's a learning curve. Oh, me too, bud. I mean, that philosophy is like spot on. That just condenses everything in my normal life philosophy. And, you know, I think it's important to understand things so you're not afraid of them. And you approach that first the negative first where, Hey, let's, let's understand what this really is and just get it over with. It's going to be painful, but then the, the downhill ride of joy after you get over that and you're not afraid of it. Like if you want to heal, don't focus on attacking the disease, focus on regenerating your body. That's how I would summarize what you just said. And that's hard to do. If you're in a conventional state, they're all focused on attacking the disease. They're not looking at whether your blood's changing correctly in a, in a subjective way. They're looking at it objectively. It's, it, it's a failure. It's a system failure. It doesn't really work. Um, the human being has enough power to override that defunct system if they keep a regenerative attitude, if they keep a positive attitude of, of uh, hey, either this was meant to be 
and my time's done and I'm, I'm, I'm gratitude for my time or I am going to focus on healing, not being sick. And that, that's where you see the change. And we see that with water too, where I tell people like there's technologically solid things that are undeniable going on here that science in the collective sense knows water is alive and it knows it has a script inside of it that is natural. It, we didn't program it. You know, we're just understanding the unfolding of it on a very shallow level right now. And the water is helping teach us that somehow. And that attitude uh, of working with all that and regeneration and letting the rest take care of itself, just accepting, like, you know, be be submissive of, of the total journey. When it's time to go, it's time to go. And no technology can override that. And that's kind of maybe what some people would call your soul contract or whatever. I, you know, I don't have any proof of any of that, but, you know, I do accept that you may know more at the soul level than your conscious body does is a good argument. It's probably a 99% argument. And, and you have to work with the limitations of what your journey is. You know, not all people are born with the same abilities and, you embrace the diversity and the uniqueness, get over the materialism side of it, you know, what you look like, you know, what, what, what accolades you've been given and your accomplishments in life doesn't really equate into the now. Only what you do and, and how authentic you are and your soul flow, your uh, information and how you behave in the moment, don't, that's the only thing that has any real value. So, you know, I've seen people behave awesomely for three years straight and very be very trustable and then all of a sudden they get into this deeper spiritual world and next thing you know they're possessed and they're they're lying and they're behaving and we see that a lot with the advanced technology is people that are somewhat neutral that have not developed a, the ability to hold their space in difficult situations turn into like criminal behavior when they see excessive value and when people really get this stuff, the value in it is it's not even a monetary value. It's doing the right thing. Uh, and of course, we have to get a monetary value to, to keep going. Uh, otherwise, you get like cronies uh, spend all the value on marketing bullshitting and they gain all the gains on it and they misteach this all to the collective. And then it doesn't work. Kind of going full circle to your question, it doesn't work right as well as it can if the human being doesn't engage in the process of the water. So this, if the soul and the mind hook up and the water helps do this, then the water in the body gets a better, longer, stronger standing pattern that promotes uh, regeneration of quality is important because regeneration of poor quality is the beginnings of a chronic illness and the definition of cancer in the end. Um, so... That's kind of the big full circle is you have to consciously work with water, get out of the belief state and get into the knowing state that you know you are working with water. It's not a lie if you're paying attention to how it's flowing, how you're pouring it, what you're putting into it, what your intentions going into it are, all these different vibrations. If you're conscious that all of that can have an effect, we don't know which and what and where and when. That's It's not a scientific thing. It's a personal soul journey at that point the scientific thing is we know for a fact that if you consciously start to work with anything in a deeper layer in in the way the universe does it the way nature does it 
it improves. It improves overall. The human being is too complex to say, oh, yeah, this this does that in every person. And we should embrace that diversity, uh, debrace, embrace our fate and know it coexists with our decisions. One and one the same. It's kind of like, yeah, you're in a river. The river's going somewhere. You can move around all you want. Uh, in the end, you're going to get in one river or another and end up at the end and and go and li- live on. You don't die. That's, that's the big fear thing you come to in all this, I would say, is you realize that death is a change of state of a being, not actual ceasing of the being. And people go, well, how do you know that? How can you prove that? And my answer to that is, you tell me the last time you remember being dead. And not to date, no one has ever been able to answer that question. And I'm like, so if you have zero memory of ever being dead and all your memories of being alive, it's stupid to fear death because you know nothing of it. That's a belief that you were kind of told, you know, and it, and it, and it beckons association with materialism rather than the core of your soul. So that transition on that factual question, like makes you, you, your soul, not a physical body. And that, that's the transition water, I assure helps make. And it's a good one. Yeah, that's beautiful. I've always been into intrigue into uh, past lives and things that uh, may affect you in this current life, as far as uh, what you've inherited from your past lives and um, I had a, you know, pretty long debate with someone who, who wasn't really believing that. And I was like, you don't think that sometimes when you're like naturally gifted at something in this world that you may have already, you know, say you're a professional writer. You don't think that p- there's a potential that you were already a writer in a past life. And that's why you were already right. came, in, came into this body gifted. <laughs> Rocking it out. Passion. Yeah. Yeah. Like you just, you know, because some people just know what they want to do or they're already really good, you know. You can see these wonders of the world, little kids playing amazing instruments or recalling things. And it's like, where do you think they got that from? They're like five years old. Like, clearly, to me, it seems that they were already something like that, you know, a pianist in their last life. And now they're just here banging it out. Yep, I I couldn't agree more. Uh, even, Even there's cases where, you know, you talk about channeling, which people having that as an ability, like playing their body as an antenna, like somebody would play an instrument, where some of the people even playing the instruments, you know, they just may just be open to a spirit of that, where it just flows through their body. And I would say every good musician, you know, I, I've been a musician my whole life, and I would attribute, you know, two things giving me a deeper understanding that I can clearly see when I speak with like, very good physicists, you know, at the multi-doctorate level, and we have discussions, um, I can see this factor come into play where, you know, uh, that's a difficult one. And I've seen a lot of people go off rails when they open up to receive information and they really don't understand that world. And it's not very pure, like an ego spirit comes in and they start achieving things but their behavior is completely changed where their ethics are questionable. It's almost like maniacal, like I'm getting to this goal because I see it, but it's like how you get to that goal is very important. If you run over a hundred people to get there, it's not going to stick because of the way it was done. You know, it's going to have like blood attached to it or suffering attached to it where it screws it up in the end. So if you really want to achieve that goal and share it, 
let it grow like a plant, leave it at some point, let it grow on its own. Um, we're always crossing back and forth and the water is the big balancer of like going back and forth between realms that we don't understand. We really don't understand this realm that well. Um, so we seek our comforts and we hide from our fears because there's a lot to fear in this world. Um, there's a lot of danger in this world, which is motivating and learning, like you said. And, uh, you know, you get on a dirt bike when you're six, like at 45, you know, Travis Pastrana is still doing crazy tricks, doing crazy stuff just because he was comfortable. He didn't have that hampering fear, but there's still a realistic fear of being wise about not just <laughs> blindly diving into every situation like there's nothing to be concerned about. That's not true. Uh, the more complex the situation, the bigger the stakes. Uh, you're aware that there's things to be respected, even from the fear standpoint of of becoming opposite of what you're intending, right? And if you keep going on something that is opposite of what you intend now, it, that's maniacal to me. That's insane. That's possession. That's obsession. It's all the same. Uh, Manly Hall gives a great talk about how when somebody becomes obsessed with something that they're likely possessed also and that they're one and the same. And I never like thought about it. And I was like, oh, I was really good at letting myself get possessed by things to a point that I could break out results for one one thousandth of the cost and one one thousandth of the time of what a corporation could do. Uh, but I had to learn how to get my space back fully and uh, kind of ground myself out, like you said in the beginning, you know, where let's bring this back to what's usable more for the collective, where I was taking risks, like getting information to flow through me that helped me understand how to deal with the water better. And if you abuse it, it becomes kind of a darker spirit. And the lesson becomes learn how to control what flows in and out of passageways. Don't just be wide open. Learn how to shut this off and turn this on. That's the lesson, not how to work better with the water. So your lesson kind of changes. If you abuse something, it becomes a hard learner on that one key to the universe is too much or too little is the key to everything. <laughs> that sounds rhythm <laughs> and too much and too little is the key to making a quality song, uh, which has beat, rhythm, impulses, melodies, bass. Like, so you start viewing... You know, I remember when I was like 22, me, me and my dad used to have these uh, to kind of close out on this uh, broad analogy. I went back to my dad and I said, I figured it out, dad. And he said, what'd you figure out? And I said, the unified model. I got read all these books on null physics and subquantum kinetics and, y you know, the greatest unified models, even Einstein's baloney, which is a bunch of simple relativity. Um, which is important. Relationship is the basis of the whole universe. And water's relational relationship algorithm is phi. And I isolated that to water and just vibrations. So it's not just like, it is everything. Phi is all over the entire universe from this planet. So there's a unified algorithm of the limit. 1.618 is the limit. Uh, and in the end, I said, my dad said, what? And I said, it's an orchestra. It's music. And he's like, what? And I said, the universe is one big orchestra and there's nothing in tune in the whole entire thing. There's just what we don't like, which then we label it as out of tune. There's really nothing out of time and nothing out of tune. It's impossible 
if certain attributes are are applied you know it's all accepted and uh it's all auto-tuned if something's off it gets reflected back on and that's how how the universe operates and he didn't get it um he was like that's too simple that's too simple you know that the universe is music you know but for me and then to get articulated with that was water for sure that's amazing. It seems like we're kind of diving into this otherworldly kind of topic. And um, I know that you um, had some uh, experiences with psychedelics and ayahuasca. Did that change your outlook on like, you know, uh, the universe and water and all of that? Uh, not so much water. Um, my self-perspective drastically changed. Water, I think, was a foundation I was able to work off of. And I actually remember, oddly, I went into the experience, the very, very profound ceremonies. I've done other ones that were far less profound, and they were basically like, you don't need to be here anymore. Go away. Um, we're going to give you a little lesson here. But other than that, like, you know, pretty null and uh, have a good time after your lesson. And that's exactly what it was. It was a totally different experience, opposite almost, a total opposite dipole on the subsequent a uh, couple of ceremonies I did. Uh, but I went in totally dehydrated and I knew it. And I was like, what am I doing? And I even forgot my water bottle. And it's a dehydrating experience. And I went through a massive cleansing and detox. I won't even bother to describe because it wouldn't be believable anyways. And uh, for me, I was in a little bit of a shock. And then um, I got to observe some exorcisms. And I was able to describe those to other people on a blind, meaning there's no way I could have described it and predicted what happened to this person unless I actually saw it and was a reality in the room. So that was super cool because I could describe the exorcism down to the color and the amount uh, of beings that were being exercised and the particular being who wasn't exercised. It didn't make it out. The shaman could not get this being out of the person. And so I was able to tell that story articulately to the person's friend down to the detail. And she goes, nah, she was right next to me. I would have known if that was happening. And so this is the day after when everybody shares their experience um, after the ceremony that night. And I said, I'm just telling you what I saw happen. It, it happened in the room. This wasn't in another dimension. This was me having different filters where I could see different frequency sets. And I was told that I was on the ground in pain like I was dying. And I, and I was told by whatever, my higher mind or some spirits, it doesn't matter to me. I was just told, get up now and watch what's happening. Get up now. And I was like, no, I'm not getting up. I'm freaking dying here on the floor. And, and they were like, get up now. And I was like, I better listen to this. Like the pain's getting worse in my body as I'm refusing to do this. And I got up. Did some breathing exercises, sad Indian style. And I was like, I don't really see nothing in the room. You could barely see. And there was like 30 people in the room. It was a different ayahuasca ceremony that um, the shamans were told to change the ceremony after like 5,000 years. They said, You're, we're changing the ceremony to a group collective ceremony rather than an individual total inward journey. And so I experienced empathy. I could go around, I could stare at a person and their feelings would go into my body. And I know it was true because they would be sitting there quiet and I would, I would stare at them in the room and 
I, I was able to feel what they were feeling inside, not really fully see it, like articulate what was bothering them. But I was like, man, this person's like really disturbed, like way more than I am. Like, like this is ugly for them. And, and, and then I would expel that feeling from my body and then they would start like crying and, and, and banshee wailing. And, and then I could feel it like being released from me. And I'd be like, is that really happening? I go to the next person. I went to this ex Vietnam guy and that one was super cool. Cause I locked in with him a little bit on what he was experiencing and feeling. And I realized like, I didn't really have anything to complain about in my life. I, I've, I've had some pretty good, good screwings in business you know, which were learning lessons, you know, lost a lot of money and a lot of transactions over what I would call white collar crime in trying to develop things to to better society. And, but then it culminated with this exorcism. And, uh, and I, I had no way of knowing if this happened, but when the girl that got to the girl, she was a nurse in a nursing home and they go, they, so they go, why'd you come here? What'd you want to accomplish? She goes, well, I worked in a nursing home and I'm around a lot of people to die. And I feel like I was full of stuck full of like other people's spirits that were like clinging on to me. And so that's why I'm here. And then they go, well, what happened? Well, I remember like the shaman, like I was like half out of it and the shaman shows up and I sit up in front of him, and he's like, they do some weird things. They blow like, They'll put like powder in their hand and, and you're already on a heavy dose of ayahuasca with DMT, like fully activated if you're ready to go there. Some people don't experience anything, in my opinion, because they're not really ready to go into the other dimensions and explore. And uh, that was my like intro. I did correctly describe the exorcism down to the number and the color and the stuck one exactly almost word for word to her story. So her friend like looked at me and was like, holy shit. And I'm like, yeah, I was watching a lot of stuff go on in the room. It wasn't like I took off to another dimension and was separate from this room. I was clear as a bell of every sound and every visual in this room. But it's like there was a layer put on top of it. I guess almost like people who say they can see aura. It's like that. And, you know, it was dark, but you could still see. So then the second ceremony following that what i asked for was a uh a healing as much as i could handle to prepare my uh, body and soul to get as much out of this ceremony as i could in the way of learning to uh take that knowledge and help develop and do things out in the world and kind of the opposite happened it went like totally inward and I, I like learned things. It was just teaching. It was like I go into one room after another room and there was new lessons in every room. And I can't remember them all because in some of the rooms I like couldn't, I couldn't maintain my space. So I kind of got kicked out of the room, if that makes sense. And there was like spirit guides who would laugh when they'd be like, you ready for this? And I'm like, yeah, I'm ready. Cause I was so excited. I just never remember in my life, except for maybe when I was a kid of being so excited at a revelation of what could be done now with what I was learning. It's a little matrixy, to be honest with you. Um, my experience and other people do have similar things in different ways with it. So in the end, it wasn't much about water at all. It was about like self-development and probably like carving out some of the hang-ups I still had that going into the future would make life more difficult for me. Uh, 
it was difficult. I, I will close with this on the ayahuasca. In two days, in 10 hours, just if you go with the actual, cer- the driven ceremony, it was the most profound experience of my life by a long shot. And it was difficult for about a year. On top of it, they told me what was going to go wrong in life and that it was a lesson that I had to do. And then to get some belief in my structure, they made some predictions about sports, the spirits. So like as I was leaving on the second day, they gave me like sports predictions that were totally accurate and multiples of them where I could have like gone and bet on them. And the odds would I would have made a ton of money because the odds were inverted. So this was really weird. They told me this information of what was going to happen to me what was going to happen to a family member and then they then they gave me sports predictions and said and then one last piece of advice was the pigs say don't eat them anymore and so i quit eating pork um i watched the sports results and they were spot on and you know if i would have put down $5000 on it i would have come out pretty wealthy for the amount of input put in and then my mom had the cancer already but she didn't admit it to anybody and uh, I ended up going into like a death spiral like a year later. And they like told me that was going to happen. It was going to be my most difficult thing in life. And I was like, why is this? I'm like, well, man, I'm kind of on the right track here. Why is this going to happen to me? And they're like, they said, because if you're going to help people heal, you're going to experience the full version of what they're going through. And you need to do that. And I barely made it through it. Barely. I was like, holy shit, this is way harder than I thought. <laughs> like, this is way harder than anything I've ever done. And it gave me empathy for people who are sick or suffering, compassion. Because before I was more like a drill sergeant, like, get up and exercise. It's necessary. I don't care how sick you are. You know, get up and walk, get up and do stuff, you know, eat right, you know, quit doing your bad habits. That's what you need to take to heal. And like, all that stuff wasn't working anymore. And I'm like, oh, now I'm the guy who like can't get up without like takes all the effort in the world to get up off the couch and go get a glass of water now. And that's the state I was in for about nine months. Uh, and it, I was almost to the end. Actually, until I made it, I was okay with dying. I was just like, screw it. I'm, I'm good to go. Take me now. I'm good to die. I started crying. And then from then I got up and I worked every day still, even in like a dying state, like barely, but I, I worked every day. I didn't know what else to do. So I, was, I was working with natural action as an operations officer. So I, I still worked every day, but I couldn't really do much. And I, I basically drank structured water every day, all day long. And that's like the only, <laughs> to be honest, I didn't feel like I could stay alive unless I was putting that living energy in my body. And I made sure I had like the best water. I would go get spring water and like raise the quality of it. And that's what I attribute to kind of keeping me like going, having some hope and making it through this. And uh, there's mechanical causes and normal pathology, right? But this was different. And I, since I knew it was going to happen through the ayahuasca, it was just, uh, it was difficult because it's like living two lives and having to deal with two lives. Like you talked about past lives. Well, sometimes in the ayahuasca, they'll take you back to your most relevant past life that is an analog for this life. And so you can understand this life and its difficulties better. So overall, man, the most profound and grateful experience, but also the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life uh, uh, during and post 
Um, I guess I probably didn't do the proper amount of pre-preparation for the ceremony. So I kind of asked for the shortcut and I got it and it wasn't, none of my life has been easy. It's always been kind of difficult and hard work. So why would the ayahuasca be any different? And, uh, and that kind of changed my life permanently where things are easier. I don't feel the need to work a 20 hour day or pound it out or get bare knuckle with it on the bottom line when it's not working out. Uh, I'm just way different now. It changed my life. Uh, I'm still the same person, but I'm, I'm just a lot more chill, you know? Yeah, no, I totally, I get it because I've done different, um, I've done more, um, quite a few psilocybin ceremonies. Um, I haven't done the ayahuasca yet. I was kind of waiting. Um, interesting. You're talking about a health crisis. I had Lyme disease. I'm still working through a little bit of the cognitive stuff on the back end of that. But I, for a couple of years, I didn't know what I had. I was seeing different doctors. Blood work was looking good and this and that. So I was having depression and, uh, the psilocybin ceremonies really helped me release, I think, a lot of the emotional baggage that allowed me to heal on the back end. They didn't heal me. I still had to do the Lyme disease protocols. And that's why I became a combo practitioner and did combo on myself and all that type of stuff like Todd does. But um, it did allow it changed me forever, for sure. My outlook on life, um, just a lot of the way I act emotionally with my wife, with uh, my relatives and family. So. I agree with you there. I didn't change me dramatically as far as like my work or whatever. I think getting sick in general is why I want to coach people and become a health practitioner. But the, um, the, I don't know if I would have healed all the way or as far as I have without releasing some of that emotional baggage. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge aspect that I think is like especially harder for men to understand. Uh, cause their way of dealing with it is the opposite of a female generally. Um, you know, they, they're put it off, ignore it. Whereas females like over, uh, experience it. So they almost have to deal with it immediately. And those two different approaches are both good depending on the situation. But if you wind the, the, the positive attributes of both of those together, you get like a, an evolution of, of kind of the human consciousness. Um, I would say what, that's what all that stuff is. Like the ayahuasca was the first, like, uh, I guess what you would call psychedelic and, and a very good shaman and very good tradition. I, I, I waited four years to find the right one to go to. I could have gone to it anytime I wanted to. And I always desired, uh, some version of that. I was thinking I was more like mescaline and peyote and Native American because I read about so much of that. Um, the ayahuasca was so profound that like combo was very, I was very tolerant of combo. Um, it was a very, like, I don't want to say an easy experience, but it was, uh, very comfortable to go through that, um, and kind of stay grounded in that experience and receive the benefit. Um, I think, you know, combo, I puked up a a black snowflake that had a beautiful structure to it. That was obviously some kind of mold or fungus, but the structure of it was beautiful. And Todd was like, that's. I've never seen that before. I don't know what that is. And I'm like, yeah, I saw it down there. It was like really big, but it kind of looked like a snowflake. It had like a symmetry. So like that, that to me kind of has an emotional thing about how, uh, and, and you can feel it go. So there's always like a physical tie to the emotional and vice versa that depending on what direction you're working, you can feel. And, uh, psilocybin's, uh, in, in micro dosing, uh, from a certain source that I privately 
you know, came to, um, which I really like. And uh, it, it's very powerful in a subtle way, almost like water. Because I'm not even doing enough to get any kind of like change in physical sensation. It's like microdose to the point where you almost don't even notice it. And it's similar to what uh, the effect of is of really charged water. Like when you really start to charge water and acclimate it to your person, which if you overcharge water and give it to somebody who hasn't acclimated to, it's kind of like lifting weights. It's like you don't, you can't put 325 pounds on that, on that bar right now. Like you can tell this person's just going to, it's just going to drop straight to their chest. They're going to need a spotter. What's the point? Um, it's kind of like that. And, uh, we also see that there's a really close tie between the RNA and the single cells uh, because they're, they're, they don't have a nucleus or an instruction. They, they work off a of symbiosis, and, and that's really through the water that they're mostly comprised of. So there's like a huge loop there between the psychedelics, the psilocybin, and the highly charged water. And I've even been able – I'm not a good meditator, but I've been able to take some water-charging devices – and do meditations where things happened that I'm like, I could never do this in a million years and I didn't train on this. But I hit that state in like five minutes with the combination of the unit and charge water, just being present. You could drink it too before, but I wanted like the long charge water to actually be in my hands during the meditation and be amplified through, you know, certain amplifiers I, you know, just understand for lack of tangent explanation and uh yeah man freaking amazing and i wouldn't have known how to like achieve any of those things without all these experiences and that's what's beautiful about nature is like you know people hear ayahuasca and combo and combo and ibogaine and bufo but there's actually like thousands of plant medicines that all have different articulations there's actually more than that we just don't know how to use them and like you said, all this stuff is coming back. The ancient stuff is coming back and like future stuff that's probably already been done. Like the the proper mode of transportation of electrogravitics is coming back. That went on a hundred years ago and was kind of shut down. Probably we weren't ready for it yet as a collective, the way I look at it. And and the fact that there were rumors about all that being around our society from the Mayans, from the Hopis. Uh, from tribes all over the world, we're talking about, you know, the people from the sky and their machines they would come down with. And I'll close on that topic with uh, one of my intentions during the ayahuasca, if I made it through my cleansing to get deep into this stuff, was uh, to get design details for, you know, electrogravitic craft like the B-2 bomber like the, some of the stealth fighters, uh, they've already been done, right? They're just done in a different way. And in particular, um, the air, the craft that Billy Myers gave the NASA the design details on, where and he had pictures, and somehow, like, you know, Billy Myers was like, hey, ET people, I'm a sheep farmer. Why are you visiting me? And they're like, because we're going to show you how this craft works, and then you're going to take it to NASA, and they're going to know there's no way you could have known all this being a sheep farmer your whole life and so that story went down right and that craft was powered by water and water plasma so i really want as an engineer wanted to go into the future in the ayahuasca and what happened instead is they showed me that my own body was a multi-dimensional craft and that you didn't need anything 
that you could get into a state and go wherever you wanted, whenever you wanted, if you understood how it worked. And so I was left with a go figure it out yourself with your own body rather than any design details about how to make new metals and combine them with water to make anti-gravity. Even though like in the laboratory, we've done some of that. It's far different to put a human being inside that craft, right? And and we were doing it on a scale of, you know, just objects by themselves in the laboratory with no living thing in it, right? And there's a lot of high voltage and things. So that was what was interesting to me is I asked to do that outward and the ayahuasca was like, you're, the real spacecraft is inward. You don't need technology at all to do what you're asking to do. And I was like, wow, that's that's kind of interesting. And totally experienced that too. So that is super profound. And I could go on and on and talk to you about psychedelic experiences forever. But uh, I guess let's loop back around to water and maybe give people um, some more tangible things that, like, you know, why would they want to structure their water or revitalize their water? Um, what kind of, I know you don't like to make claims about curing stuff, but what type of benefits do you see just? that people could grasp onto um, from revitalizing their water? Well, um, so whatever you ingest is made in some kind of process. And if it's made with heat processes, it's lower quality, whatever it was to begin with. So most of us don't have access to living water, mountain streams and living water, fruit growing on trees. Uh, There's very few places in the world that would even do that to sustain any number of people in a community. Um, so what the water does is set up a transformation, um, and we've recorded this scientifically. This isn't like, uh, and it works differently on different substances and some substances are so stuck in a low state quality that it takes way too much time to correct them to what you would say was quality. So if you go with a reasonably good diet and you drink the water, before and after it actually changes the carbohydrate and protein and mineral structure which is kind of the substrate of that um the minerals um into a different state that your body can absorb them so in the end um you you eat less and gain more for your body and then you unload your liver because your liver is what cleans up all the uh, toxicity which is everything in the end after it's used that gets in the blood um, everything's toxic after it's used. It doesn't stay in your blood and build up, right? And the more it builds up, the more toxic it is. So it helps you get that out better. And the buildup is of less damage because it's a higher quality breakdown and it's a higher quality input to the cell. So it, it, the water, when it's alive, is the foundation of regeneration. And without it, the best methods really struggle and rarely work all the way. So we get a lot of people who over the course of the, you know, 13 year history of the company um, with every form of sickness who go, man, I started drinking your water and it totally changed my life. It healed me. And I was like, no, it was the foundation you didn't have. You were exercising. You were eating better. You were cleaning up your mind. You were cleaning up your emotion, but you didn't have a water foundation on that, which fine tunes and synergizes those other four parts parts that you were doing then you put the water foundation on that and all of those things started to synergize better within your body and your body started to release that stress pattern 
in its blood, which comes out physically in the blood, which is in the mind, which is in the heart, which is in, you know, like you said, the more emotional or even in your electrical patterns that are tied to your emotion, tied to your thoughts, tied to all these different layers in the body. We really don't fully understand. We're just kind of getting to the tip of the iceberg in the collective uh, sense. So when you drink this water, it frees everything up, uh, relieves the stress patterns and everything that you consume because it's dominant to them as long as there's not too much like if you take too much medicine or you eat too much of the good stuff or you drink too much water you can have uh, learning effects that go on from what it means to do too much overcharge it drink too much volume of an overcharged water so everything about is becomes less is more that philosophy goes in your head when you start drinking this water less is more and that starts making a huge change with your total life. It's the easiest one thing you could change. You know, changing your diet completely is a hard, gradual thing. You upset the microbiome. And then when you screw up, the living water helps buffer the screw up. And so the whole thing just becomes easier, in my opinion. And, and the consciousness becomes much more keen to how you're doing things in your daily life. And... uh You'll find that you can break rules as long as you don't do it too much and the body's fine with it. If there's enjoyment behind it, you know, that's the key. Like if you're pissed that you're eating donuts, those donuts are not going to be that good for you. If you have a single donut and you're strong and healthy and you love that donut and you don't abuse it, that donut ain't, ain't going to do nothing to you. You know, where other people who are like spiritually righteous to be like, oh my God, you're eating a sugar donut. You, you're, you're a hypocrite, you know? And it's like, no, it's about enjoying things and not abusing them and finding your own limits in it. There's other things that I'm sensitive to that I won't touch. You know, I'm just like, that's not for me. Every time I try that, no matter how little, it's a miserable experience for me and I'm not doing it. But I also have a try everything philosophy so you can learn about it. So you can learn the good, learn the value, learn how to integrate it. So that, that's what I would say. It's the integrator of all your own creative methodology in taking care of your own spacecraft that your soul travels around in. And it's as simple as that. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And um, what I experienced, I've been using structured water. Um, I have... Um, what is it? What's the name of the Greenfield Naturals, like Ben Greenfield's dad's yeah, company. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever looked into that, but they seem yeah, to do very, pretty well. Yeah, it's very similar uh, methodology. And I like the flow form, meaning there's elements here. Like there's there's ways to charge water where you can just set it on a plate of certain material and the water will charge up. It's not the same as water that's done that and flowed a certain way. So Greenfield uses a flow form. A little bit of a variation of what we do, uh, but largely the a very similar effect out of the water for sure. Yeah, I, I noticed instantly. Uh, seemed like almost decreased inflammation. Um, you know, muscle soreness recovery in the gym, kind of just uh, overall just vitality and energy. And I didn't know if I was, uh, you know, when I got it like three years ago and hadn't. I've done did a deep amount of research, but it wasn't a whole lot and. I was like, whatever, I, I needed a filtration system anyways, because I just didn't want to drink tap water. So I was like, well, why don't I just buy one that's got the structuring unit on there as well? And um, I thought it was a great enhancement. It's probably one of the biggest reasons that I think I've healed from uh, most of my Lyme complications as well. 
Yeah, me me too. And uh, you know, I took care of a lot of pound and we had adopt uh my ex-wife was in animal welfare. She still is, but when we were married, um a lot of do- I used to train animals and be pretty good at it. So they would get aggressive animals that they would put down. And the one she really liked that thought you know, were probably aggressive out of fear from being beat when they were raised. She would bring them to me and sometimes I would end up or we would end up with them. So we had a large amount of emotionally distressed animals because the pound animals are abandoned. So there's like abandonment issues, like for real. And uh, that takes time to heal from. And I saw all sorts of things way faster with the animals than I did with us. But I, I sensed it with us. Um, but the confirmation was like right away, like immediate, we had a dog that, and whenever it would get active, it would get like gout and its joints would swell up and it couldn't even walk anymore. And this was like happening at like two years old and probably from a vaccine, in my opinion, um, to happen at that age and, uh, put her on the, uh, natural action structured water and, uh, we inherited another puppy Uh, Well, first, like, we never saw her, like, gout up or stove up anymore. And then we maybe a year and a half later, it's, like, being free of this, like, dehabilitating condition when she ran. So she was, like, very inactive, which is going to start to breed other issues in life later on, right? And I'm like, man, this sucks. This dog's only, like, four years old, and it goes lame. And she never went lame again. And then I remember at 10, we had another puppy. And she was running and playing with that puppy at 10 years old like like no other. And I was like, holy crap, she wasn't able to run and play this long since she was two years. Like it, it, at two years old, this would have dehabilitated her. And, and at 10, and we didn't change her food diet or anything yet. I, I didn't know the abhorities of the, uh, the kibble dog food diet until later <laughs> animals. But I definitely isolated that the kibble... Whether it's high quality, I, I used to buy the most expensive stuff, $120 for a 40-pound bag. And it was killing the animals that were old and weak. Like, I could literally take them off the highest-grade dog kibble food and switch them to natural food. And within two days, I would see a recovery at, like, 16 years old. And and so animals, they would have died at 12, 13, 14. They extended their lives to, like, 17 and healthy with very little suffering before they died, meaning they died the day they died and they suffered for a few hours maybe. And I don't even think they were suffering. They just were done. Um, and the day before they'd steal a chicken off that, you know, my oldest like female dog stole a full chicken off the counter and then ate it while holding off the rest of the pack that was trying to get at it. And she was almost 18 years old and she was diagnosed three years older with stage four lymphoma and a heart murmur that between the combination of the four and a half heart murmur, uh, the expert vet said uh, with the heart murmur, she could die today or tomorrow. And with the lymphoma, this dog doesn't have two weeks, you know, just make preparations. And the dog lived almost three years after that and and was able to fight off a pack of dogs while stealing a whole chicken off the counter the day before she died. So that was my goal is not to like, extend things beyond but to reduce and minimize suffering in the process of transitioning and uh i just put put down another dog who had a severe disease who was able to stay healthy at least in the sense couldn't 
cure the disease. It was like a, a nervous system along the spine. The best diagnosis I got from the best naturopathic doctor I know said a brain tumor at the base of the brain that's totally inoperable. And that would be like extremely difficult to get rid of and was kind of his fate. And I was able to get that dog walking again reasonably at 15 years, 14 years old. He was like walking pretty good. And then uh, we just had to put him down. And, uh, you know, so he got better at 14 and then lived with a disease since he, that he's had that brain tumor since he was four. And the kibble every time was getting all these animal cats or dogs had a bunch of both. And just taking them off of the bad proteins is really what it is. It triggers an immune response because the pro the proteins are distorted and the liver is overloaded. It's like eating McDonald's in my opinion. Um, and then doing the water provides you a greater defense against that type of stuff, but it's still the wrong principle and too much of it. So then just getting rid of that and doing the water and kind of doing a more whole, easy to digest, a uh, real meat and vegetable diet for the dogs. That was it. And they can live like way longer, way beyond what vets predict. And they, they live a quality of life. And it's, it's largely the same thing for a plant or a human being. Uh, but it's not the only factor. That's my disclaimer is the water is the foundation that everything else you're doing will be synergized on. And whatever you're doing, like the more creative and introspect you are to yourself and the better you, relationship you have with that water, if you start to go like homeopathic, it even gets better. Uh, but it is a practice. It is something you have to learn and, and do. It's not a, a lot of people in this society want to go, oh, you structured the water. The water was bad. Now the water's good. You drink that water and now everything should be good. And it's not that simple, you know what I mean? Like, uh, but it's there if if you're willing to go down the the road, and it's not that complicated neither. Like you said, you probably use the flow form device to structure the water, and you you had a, a health crisis with the Lyme disease, and you know, uh, I ended up the water was my pathway to end up studying the pathology and causative mechanisms of Lyme disease and AIDS and cancer. And it's all way simpler than what you th think it is in this, you know, mystery world of, you know, cancer awareness. And like, it's well understood what all that stuff is and how it happens. And it's sad to me that that's been hidden from your average person. And so, sh you know, slowly and surely the water was the foundation that led me to study the truth of, you know, these diseases and pathologies and how they work and how they don't. Uh, on a general level, it's not like I can get into like deep pathology, like, you know, with a good doctor and talk that language. But the overall, what causes it, a lot of that's in the state of the water. So if you change that. Now the disease is going to have a harder time living in your blood. And it's always living in your blood, like your blood's your soil. So if you apply the indigenous teachings uh, and the parallels with earth as a being and the human as a being and the blood of the earth and the water. Um, you get this like awesome tripod of a foundation uh, that you can almost build whatever you want off of. Um, and, and I think that's like the soul's journey that uh, the compassion and the empathy I had to understand was not everybody's in the same journey. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, we're not all on the same level of our soul journey and our soul's experience levels are not all the same. Uh, for me, um, I don't do conventional medicine and never really have other than what I was drugged to 
and I don't mean, mean this as a negative as my parents, but whatever I was drugged to with conventional medicine and kind of more seemingly thought I didn't have a choice to do and did. Um, I've never really went, I've never carried health insurance. So I'm really motivated to kind of keep myself healthy and be careful as much as I can when I'm working in dangerous situations. And I do a lot of dangerous stuff. I, I like that. Uh, and, and so it's all been helpful in that, that, that journey of taking full responsibility as much as I can for my own health. And, uh, if I have to use, uh, more conventional Western medicine, which has its purpose. Uh, I'm very empathetic and compassionate towards it and its weakness and, and appreciate the strengths of it if I ever need them, which I only really needed it a little bit in like a massive health crisis. And uh, I probably didn't even really need it, but it helped me un uh, discover that the biggest cause of my sickness, I've kind of isolated everything else, like no matter how I went into emotion, um, and I was riding with the water, right. The whole time. And I was kind of like, man, I am barely hanging on. And if I don't constantly drink living water and focus on really making that water in balance for me, uh, to use, that was my one like cornerstone of confidence. That seems to be, if I can do this, I can make it through the day and I can get enough sleep at night where I, my body can rest enough to barely hang on all the way to I couldn't heal because I was working around people who were not good people. And I used to pride myself on like maintaining my composure and working with people who had major, like who lied a lot. Let's just say that they're not honest with themselves and they're not honest with other people. Some of them are pretty severe phonies and frauds and they know, you know, and they don't want you to tell anybody, but they won't change. And I was always like, hey, cat's out of the bag, man. We all know here on the inside. So why don't we change and we'll work together to kind of make build this, regenerate this whole thing uh, in a better way. And that's what happened with natural action. I mean, the former owner, I'll just say it, was unethical, lied a lot, uh, made promises that he couldn't keep, made claims about the technology that were absolutely wrong to make to people. And uh, I was his friend and I was trying to cultivate the whole thing to a point that would give it longevity and do honor to the water and give respect to the water. And he was kind of selling himself as a water guru. And I'm like, you can't really be a spiritual guru or anything if you're lying all the time. And my choice to stay and work around that is absolutely what was keeping me sick. As soon as I left that physically, and said, hey, I'll be friendly and respectful, but I'm not working with it in this light anymore. Um, I started to heal. So my weakness was surrounding myself with other human beings who were dishonest. And it really irks me. It stresses the shit out of me. But for some reason, I believed I could change everyone by leading by example and being, you know, as honest as I could be and being as forthcoming and non-judgmental. And I was wrong. That was my limitation. That that was what was killing me. As soon as I got around good beings, I started healing pretty quick. Yeah, there's something to be said about um, negative people or um, something that's just draining you of your energy. I don't know if they're stealing electrons, your chi or what, but there is uh, something to be said about uh, the people you surround yourself with and uh, the energy they'll take from you and, uh, you know, give off to you as well. Yeah, some people call them energy vampires. Uh-huh. 
you know, I've heard uh, we work with uh, some world champion athletes and they kind of get all our underground technology before the public does. That's how we test it a, a lot. You know, we test on animals. We test things for like a year at least, usually about two before we really bring it to marketplace on plants, animals. And it's passive, right? It's not any aggressive stuff. It's all vibrational technology and using water as a medium for it. And basically, you know, we were talking and uh, we were talking about some different technologies that we could apply for him. He's getting a little older. You know, he's an Olympic gold medalist and he's still competing at that level. So he, you know, he's like, I'm getting older. I, I have to like really do this stuff to be able to compete at the level I compete at. And so you get good feedback from those areas, but he was moving and, you know, he called and said, Hey, I want you to look at the water system in the area and let me know what I can do. And, uh, you know, he told me he was moving because wherever he was living, there was just, and you're talking about a strong individual here who can be a four-time world champion at 32 years old and one of the most difficult sports there, there is to engage in, um, and uh, he said, I had way too many energy vampires. Like it was holding me down from like staying up to my potential at, you know, with the age of matter, whatever, you know. And it was interesting to hear that word, you know, very conventional type sport in person. Right. But I'm seeing this more and more where the the professional athletes at the higher level and private don't mind ha having the conversation of what they are getting benefits from. And uh, the so-called structured water, even though I don't like that term, I think what, you know, uh, living water revitalization suits the reality better than structure because structure could be a lot of different things to a lot of different people and mean a lot of different things. Um, and certain devices will resonate a lot better with some people than other. And the more you get off like the common nature pathway, the more that becomes true where like an odd device will work with an odd person and do exceptional things. If you sold that to everybody, it'd probably like somebody would have to work to acclimate to that device. And uh, so you have to kind of like pay attention to the subtle energy and more common harmonizations. Like what are the octaves uh, on earth that are most common like carbon? Okay. You know, we might want to use carbon and work with water and silicon. Okay. We might want to use, carbon and silicon but do we want to just use everyday normal carbon or do we want to use like very special carbon and very special silicon and that's kind of where we're at and the very special carbon and the very special silicon makes light years difference in the water response than using like low quality carbon you know it's like when everybody started doing biochar and agriculture i already knew that was going to screw the soil up and it would take a while for the soil to fix itself so everybody was calling me doing like biochar and we'll do biochar and structured water. And I'm like, I wouldn't do biochar like fresh. They're like, why? I'm like, cause it's, it's from a heat process. It's low quality carbon. Like you need to convert that carbon. And one way you can help convert it is with the water, but there's ways you can accelerate that even further. And to do it with the highest quality, you should burn them chips and, and, and bury them and let nature work on them. You know, let them compost for a year before you put them on water. It was structured water and uh, put some uh, liters in there of carbon and silicon to lead that material process. And those little tricks that don't cost nothing, patience, persistence, and understanding that you can't burn the shit out of something and put it on something else and expect it to be quality. 
not how nature works. Like if you watch the forest burn, the forest soil is terrible a year later. At two years, it starts to produce really good. At three years, you're like, holy shit, this soil is alive now. And the forest sustains that way in a natural process. On apart from the unnatural level of burning we're doing on the West Coast, you know, right now in recent years, which is not totally natural. Um, but yeah, there, man, it that, gives you that's a, a broad consciousness of working with a lot on this planet. Absolutely. That's super cool. And um, I'll have to get a hold of you. I got a small group of people who are debating buying a uh, decent plot of land, maybe in like North Carolina or something in a couple of years. We all kind of got it on our vision board. And so maybe I'll have to tap in with you when we do that and talk to you about how we should. We're trying to grow some animal, you know, kind of do like the regenerative thing. And then also obviously uh, grow some plants, fruit, different things as well. So maybe I'll have to tap in with you on how we should structure the water and go about that. Yeah, love it. We uh, we spent seven figures as a group in four years on a research farm studying like living water and living soil. And uh, we applied uh, Dr. Kerry Reams's model of uh, biological ionization. We wanted to see how accurate that measurement system was and how well his philosophy. And he didn't know about structured water. He just used distilled water um, and seawater. Uh, so he didn't really mention anything about, you know, increasing the energy of the water. So we are like curious what happens when you start to synergize these different technologies and we, you know, we've done some Oregon pyramids and, you know, we buy people and test them and then build our own and test them and watch what happens. And it's more subjective, but man, it is a beautiful, fun, spiritual rite of passage. When you start growing higher quality stuff than even nature normally produces. Uh, and you have to be careful there. Uh, but yeah, you can do, you could do better than nature by synergizing in, in, in the point source of we're, you know, growing for these purposes, right? I don't, you don't do uh, better than nature overall. It's always the leader and learning from, but love those projects, love to do those things. You know, water is what we do on a daily basis and is the bread and butter and the foundation. And what I'm most grateful for, my kind of motherly, universal mother, if you will. And, uh, to implement out into the world, you know, whether it's factories, I, I don't care. I'm non-judgmental. If I got a chance to improve things and build stuff and create things together with other people, that's what makes me like really excited. You know, that's what I love to do. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll definitely tap back in with you if we decide to end up going that route. Um, I know we've been just kind of rattling. And I actually love that you're not really a salesman as far as you I mean, you've brought up the products a couple of times, but we've just been kind of flowing here. Um, yeah. Why don't we get into some of the actual products that people can purchase from oh. your site? I know you have a portable structuring device. You got the under the sink with the filters. You also have the shower filters. Why don't we dive into some of the products? All right. So, um, for most customers, this is a pretty in-depth podcast, so definitely break this rule. It, the more you explain, the worse it gets. And, and really, <laughs> it just needs to work for them. They don't. So so there's like mechanical engineering aspects, which involve uh, what you call. And so I'm going to go over the design a little bit and how it works and what it's comprised of and what's different uh, about one device to another device, right? 
Um, and there's two major components, potentially three, if we look at what I've talked about as far as your interaction or relationship water and your, you know, presence with the process of changing water does have an effect. So you're the third element. Um, so the flow and what happens during the flow, um, so there's a number of stages which are made out of uh, irregular surface spheres. Because if you study aerodynamics and hydrodynamics, I'll use the golf ball as the example. If a golf ball doesn't have dimples in it, it doesn't fly straight. It's unstable. If it if it has dimples in it, it, it flies much better. Uh, if you shoot a, a projectile out of a barrel, like a rifle or a cannon, and it's not spinning it's less stable. So there's a couple of little things that are in engineering that every good engineer accepts in the deeper levels of mechanical engineering from a hydrodynamic or a fluid dynamic state would be kind of the upper level of mechanical engineering. Um, first, uh, then the shape of two spheres coming together. A lot of people, once they see the spheres, they're like, oh, I kind of get it. But then they don't see the negative space which two spheres coming together form what they call a De Laval nozzle or a convergent divergent nozzle or a supersonic nozzle. Even though we don't have supersonic macro conditions at the atomic level, you definitely have supersonic conditions going on on the boundary layers. And so when the water flows through the device, it creates a backwards turbulence. So it, it resists against itself and comes to a null point And then it, cancels that null point by winding itself back together like a double helix. So when you talked about a boulder in the river, when the boulder is properly shaped, which will happen over millions of years, um, the water will reshape the boulder, and then the, the boulder minerals will go higher in quality, and then the water quality will go up. So you see a synergy. The quality of the boulder and what it's made of goes up, and so does the water. That's the proper understanding of physics, that the two work together to make better, and that's what happens naturally. It's really slow with a big boulder. So if you just kind of carve out or simulate an egg, which is the end shape of an aerodynamic or fluid dynamic device with a blunt leading edge against the resistance of its, you know, into itself and unto itself, which unwinds as, as a negative resistance on the backside or the release, say like release of emotion, re release of electrical tension, release of tension right off the backside double winds and so even if it's just for a little bit it does a electromagnetic charge cancellation that opens up the door to the ether um to kind of go to the deep spot with it so the presence of electromagnetism measurable is blocking ether flow because the ether is what formed that if that's that makes sense it's already there so like you can't try and manifest more of it and saturate it to get more life force energy. So you have to have an open space, uh, uh, like something that's empty in space. So if you look at the design of our carbon gene unit and you look at the magnetic field scan, cause that unit has a very special magnetic field array where we don't really, we actually don't use hardly any magnetism with of the magnet. Most people don't understand that. It's too much of a tangent to explain that. And I covered all that stuff on our webinars on our, member site if people want to learn more about that so we cancel the magnetic field kind of get a let's call it a blue hole rather than a black hole that means something in life force energy it means regeneration acceleration of regeneration um and an effect happens there 
Um, so space, like music, right? Like if the drums didn't have any space, there wouldn't be any rhythm. If the lead guitarist didn't stop playing, everybody would be sick of what he was playing. Everything in music has a stop or a space. So that's a natural attribute. Um, so the the mechanics of it from conventional electrical engineering or mechanical engineering, fluid dynamics to electrical engineering to the ether, uh, fundamental energy of the whole universe, the common ground um, is all there. Uh, quantifiably, it's it's not like it's off in the fringe, really. It's just in the fringe for uh, the more mainstream. Uh, so you're breathing the water by putting it into a vacuum and then raising the pressure again, well, double winding it um, over a material where it picks up the vibrations of that material. Our material is shungite and quartz and about every trace element that exists in the ocean and I, I'll give a little clue that if something's living up, on, if an atom is living up on the North Pole and the South Pole and the equator, they're completely different characteristic of any of the other atoms. They're different. So you get this North Pole vibration going on. It's an integrated vibration. So it makes like totally unique structures um, that we define, but they're unique. Um, so there's buckyballs involved in our carbon and the shungite. Um, and, and just a lot of the diversity of the, the lower, uh, heavy metals down to mostly light metals, uh, that are just found in nature that a plant would grow really well in, if, if you would. And that vibration, while the double winding is going on, when the normal electrical magnetic fields are canceled, meaning the noise is gone that's within the water, the water is receptive and able to read the vibrations of the environment. Well, it's doing that like through the flow form. So like uh, Greenfield's device, I don't, I think they still use like a silicon oxide, um, like a glass flow form. I'm not sure on that, um, but it's the same uh, type geometry with a, a, a basically a 30 degree change in it. Um, so yeah, uh, the water comes out different than when it went in just by flowing over this. And what it does is, uh, like an amplifier of like what a river system does. So you get your left, right, you get your double windings, you get your, uh, all the rocks and elements and gold and platinum and, and, uh, antenna for that in the form of the buckyballs, uh, just gives water all these attributes. Water actually copies these stronger attributes and holds on to them. So we have a unique, uh, quality to our water because of what we're using in the dielectric flow form. Uh, and then what's different about the devices, so the portable, you don't really get a lot of flow trigger there because you're just pouring at gravity. It's enough to trigger the water, uh, but it does like progress the more times you flow through it. Um, and it does qualify as living water scientifically through the portable device. And that you can run under your sink. You can take that with you. So for introductory people, um, you know, who want to experience this works on wines and juices. Like juices are way more absorbable. If you structure, you just have to be, make sure you rinse the unit out good. So you don't trap, you know, stuff that nature has to come break down in there. Excuse me. And, uh, that's the portable. And most of the technology is, is, at that root, that flow form, 
it looks kind of like DNA when you look at the flow form apart uh, with these spheres connected together like little cells. They're about a half inch in diameter. Uh, and then our bigger units are about one inch in diameter for our larger flow rate. So it's basically flow coordinated. And when you get flow involved, like when you use a whole home system and you're flowing a lot, um, the effect is obviously more vigorous in revitalizing the water, but there's less of a personal interaction, if that makes sense. It's kind of in your basement working all the time and it works. It cleans your pipes out. Uh, your hot water heater will last for you know, 20 years. I'm on 15 years on mine. It's not even showing any sign of decay. We have entire communities like the Hutterites who have their own boilers who are like, hey, ever since we started using your stuff, you know, we we don't even really have to clean the, the boiler tanks anymore. You know, we still soak them, but there's nothing really in there. We don't scrape anything off. Our vegetables make three to four yields now. We used to get one and a half. So there's the real science of, you know, 13 years of applying it in at, at the community level, at the individual level of seeing how this stuff all works and, and how to apply it, which is pretty simple. If you don't stress the water out, you know, don't put it next to your Wi-Fi router. Don't put it next to strong electric electromagnetic signals unless there's an understanding of what you're doing with those electromagnetic signals. And then we have amplifiers like that we just introduced in the the last year. And then we have longer stages, right? So the HD24 whole home represents 24 polarized pairs, kind of like the water likes to do with just getting two cells together. And that would make 48 simultaneous double vortexes that vary in strength depending on the flow rate. And, and more is not better. So it like goes in and out. It's like there's windows of tune and generally it's changing the entire home's energy subtly um, where things rust differently or oxidize or break down differently and become stable. So your plastic pipes actually oxidize and change color in the presence of this water over the control. You can see this by, you know, but we inspect the pipes before, put the unit in 10 years later, sometimes we'll look at the pipes on the inside and they're different color pipes on the inside. So it stabilizes copper, it stabilizes plastic. It's not pure, you can still have breakdown depending on the rest of the conditions and design of the home, right? There's electrical wires sometimes running around with the pipes, so that can detract a little bit. So it's this big equation of adding harmony and, and making noise. Uh, and if the harmony is stronger, the noise kind of gets lost in the crowd and the whole home mutates a little bit, just like the whole home of your body mutates a little bit each day and gradual change. Um, and the power, the raw biofield power, uh, does decay along the flow of a straight pipe and through elbows. So having a unit on the shower is like point source. There's a biofield around the water. Matter of fact, the biofield people read around your body and a plant is from water. Like, so without the water, there ain't no biofield. So that when the water gets alive, the biofield starts to pick up around the home and things subtly change to be supported. Like the wood will change to not like degrade as fast. And like I said, it's not on off or foolproof, but the quality of the environment goes up. And this is what you start to see on a farm. And it takes time to get to, to kind of maximize and, then the consciousness seems to understand how to add to it after that. So like there's a value of having a unit by you in the shower and 
you absorb more water um, than you realize in the shower, especially if the water is more absorbable. In my opinion, people are like, oh, yeah, your water absorbs X in the shower. I'm like, no, it doesn't. If the water senses, the, if your body senses the, that the chlorine in the water is bad for you, it'll close your pores off. Because that's what nature does is it has natural mechanisms to close things down when it's not right. And so you don't hydrate in the shower and your body's trying to protect yourself from that water. When that water becomes biologically acceptable inside or out, your pores will open up and you'll hydrate a hell of a lot through the shower and you will actually feel better. You don't really feel better when your pores all shut to protect yourselves. And then your pores plug and you don't get yourself as clean. Right. So there's this big chain of biological rhythm that starts to unfold here. Um, so portable, so you can always have it once your body acclimates to it. You can't really drink RO water from the airport anymore. And so the portable, you can travel with easy. And, and if you have to buy RO water, at least you can pop it back to life. So it's not a negative on your body. Um, you know, juices, uh, wine, whatever makes it healthier. Some things that aren't healthy to drink you know, become healthier and sometimes become medicine-like when you do that with it. The shower for adding energy to what already exists or getting immediate energy in the area for one of the most important events of the day or every other day, whatever it ends up being for people's habits. And uh, then we have under the sink units to correct like what we would consider to be poor quality filters or further add to people who live in apartments like the under sink units are and and we sell filters too, really high quality filters and we'll combine them um what we see with the filters is they last usually two to three times longer than the suggested filter life when combined or put in the presence of one of these units and uh you know uh there's a certain classification like greenfield hexahedron 999 uh Good couple of good companies there I know, you know, make devices that make a difference. There's some fraud devices out there that don't work worth a crap, neither that are built really cheap. Uh, the marbles in the funnel isn't really a good idea, but it will make some changes in the water. It's just not anywhere near as good. Grander, they do a water transfer method where they program water and then flow water around the program water, and then it picks it up. Um, I like sticking with the Vortex Flow Schauberger method because it sticks to the more you copy nature, the better and better this water gets. So that's what you're trying to do around the home with the multiple devices. Larger homes might need like a unit, like a 5,000 square foot might need to hit the water again to like really get the the vitality in it before you consume it. And the most common question I get, and I, and so all these devices kind of work the same. Uh, they're just different power levels by different methods of uh, different shapes, a little bit different shape in some of our whole home uh, devices where we had opportunities to improve flow form shape. And so we did that and, and redesigned the whole product line in 2019. And we only stuck with the portable because it's high volume. We sell a lot of those. So we plastic mold them. A lot of people are like, oh, the plastic's no good. It's got bad energy. They they really don't know what they're talking about, and they're limiting themselves. Uh, insulators, dielectrics are really good for the water, and the plastic don't hurt the water one bit, and the plastic changes according to the water and becomes very stable. And the plastic's like bulletproof. You could literally drive over it, throw it against the wall, and they last for 
forever. They'll never wear out. Actually, they get better over time because they kind of acclimate. Um, so that's the gist of that. It's called flow form technology. And we use the flow to trigger a dielectric paramagnetic effect. So there is magnetism in the flow form, but it's a monopole. It's paramagnetic, which means it's attractive. Diamagnetism is uh, repelling. And so it goes through an attractive uh, energy state of magnetism. Um, and then we came out with a new line, kind of, we felt like everybody was ready to get a little more horsepower in the life energy aspect. So we made what's called the Magnaray, and uh, we tried it out in portable form. Um, so we made a portable, and they're not cheap. There's a lot of design time and alchemy that goes into these, and uh, we ended up using nanoparticles to make our our crystals and our radiation shielding. And so basically the portable unit um, is designed to make a nobled water like Victor Schauberger talked about and just using modern day technology with the same energies he was talking about. Um, our engineering staff, especially led by me, has a good understanding of what the subtle energies are and where they come from. And so we, um, the 3D printers gave us the ability to make these types of units and, and make them strong um, and make our own crystals and make our own radiation shield because radiation is stressed to water. And if you think about it, no matter what water you're drinking, it's not freed from radiation. And you put it inside this unit and, and it has an incubation time of for once being free from Wi-Fi, from, you know, radio waves. So we put radiation shield, uh, Shungite, Again, Shungite is one of the most effective radiation shielders. So, uh, and then we use a magnetic array where we cancel the magnetic field that makes a, uh, when you scan it, we have pictures on our website. It, it makes a nothing spot, which uh, is emitting a, a blue energy that only sensitives can see that is considered life form, life force grow, life force accelerate. It's what plants like. Um, it's considered, it'd be like the accelerator on a car versus the brake and red, red energy or the south pole of the magnet in certain parts of the magnet would be considered the brake. So, uh, we tried different combinations in the end. We figured we'd go with the accelerator because most people are low on energy and need more regeneration. And, uh, and then we did a whole home version called the MR24. And, uh, we just released that this year and like that became our top seller. And uh, we get the most like positive reviews on that whole home system, even though the regular HD 24, so, you know, again, a 24 stage uh, unit. And you can kind of see what all that is on the website. And HD 9 post RO, a lot of people use reverse osmosis. Not my favorite water, but we make a unit that comes with everything to just plug right in under your sink. And then we started doing custom whole home filters in combination with our filters where we work with people in their water more personally uh, to get them the system that's most beneficial. So I hope that is thorough about our product line. And we, we do some amazing minerals. Um, it's too much to talk about those on top of today, but they're, they're <laughs> good with the healing, reg that final layer of what if you have to put minerals back in your water um, we, we have a couple of different amazing mineral supplements that do some amazing things, uh, like in the tangible, like on in the laboratory, very measurable, amazing things. They perform better than any filter. 
that I've ever seen as far as removing the toxins from the water, even though you have to understand how to kind of do that and how it does it. And they detox the body better than any filter, faster than uh, any like detox method I've ever seen without causing like cleans the blood out better than anything I've ever seen without causing a lot of negative side effects in most people. So that's about it without getting into crazy more detail. <laughs> yeah, um, minerals, I could go on for a couple more hours with just that. I've done a pretty deep dive on uh, yep. minerals over the last year. <clears throat> so I'm glad you make that product. And I think that is a big piece. People need to add their minerals back into their um, water, even if it's structured and everything like that. But I think we uh, we did the damn thing today. Uh, we yeah. went deep. We went long. Is there, um, where do you I see hope I found a middle ground. Going? Yeah, I think you know, I think we I think we got there. I think it should be all right. There's obviously some deep knowledge, but I think there should be some takeaways uh, from the episode at least. If if people are interested about water, we'll see how how uh, how it translates over. Uh, right. Where do you see this uh, technology going over the next few years? Well, I think the first thing that gets overlooked is it represents a technology that doesn't wear out. And you know, one of the things we have to do is realize that we ca- we can mine things from the earth trees and plants and and under the earth but if if we're making things that don't wear out this is better for the whole process right that's the design goal as an engineer like technology should not wear out they should last a really long time so we can minimize the mining and the disruption of a natural process so natural action technologies even though we're like big into water you know i came from nuclear power and and a career in aerospace and agricultural industry like I've, I've tried to go into every industry that i had any interest in whatsoever and it came from word of mouth when you're in that custom machine design of hey this factory wants to do this they don't like the efficiency they have here can you come in and look and do it and i was just interested to always improve that efficiency um so you know there's things that go behind our front of natural action technologies um, where we go into bigger scale engineering and we're starting to do m- more of that now. Um, so natural action kind of is a more of a principle of copying nature and applying it to all situations. And there ain't a place you can go, not a factory, not a human body, not a biological situation where water is at present. So I have this kind of little trick. I know that no, wherever I go, I can go, Hey, you could gain some efficiencies here by changing your water. And, you know, no, but no plant manager really is thinking like that. So it's very broad where we can go with this. And I have some, uh, we do research a lot still. Uh, we have a lab that, you know, pretty much runs full time at least, you know, every day or a little bit every day. And sometimes very intently if we're really looking at something uh, for development. So just continuing to expand on that. And it's kind of like the car, you know what I mean? Like. Uh, there's improvements that can be made, but they're kind of superficial. Like the car you had in 1960, if properly tuned, could actually be more efficient than the car we sell today. That's very easy to understand. So it's like one of those things where for water, we kind of have the basic step up and, and, and we're starting to add on like more race car versions, right? Which won't work for, is many people they're more expensive they're uh they're gonna make bigger changes and for some people it's too much so we kind of trying to work on like the high performance side and move into what we call performance hydration and work with athletes 
Um, we work with some professional soccer players, baseball players, football players. Uh, some of them are more or less interested. So we're learning about that marketplace of who's really interested and, and who's just like, I, I just want to do it because I heard it gives me an edge and I trust the source. Uh, so I'm going to do it. And I really don't, I'm not sensitive, don't care all about, they're not sp really spiritual. They don't really poke into it. They just give me a tool versus, hey, no, I know there's something really deep here and I'm into it. And, and explore that marketplace is, yeah, I just want to explore, like you said, like people who, are healthy and focused on regenerating and are a good example for other people rather than focus on, I mean, we came out of a whole era of our customers were all sick people really struggling that, you know, felt like this would be a benefit for them. And for most of them, it was, but everybody, it was being marketed as like a cure for sickness. So it had like a double whammy because I don't believe in cures. I believe in individuals who decide to regenerate themselves correctly. Uh, that can happen, but that same disease can come back at any given time if you're not diligent. And it's part of the natural process anyways. It's just minimize the suffering in that. So we're really changing our market mode to regenerate performance, positive attitude, and uh, kind of move away a little bit from the focus on sickness and what may be causing it and the whole vaccine thing and all that. And I'm very well versed there and very well connected in all those angles. And it's just not as an effective direction. So I'm really trying to change the attitude, the history and the DNA of the company uh, to turn more towards focus on regenerate. You know, I don't like anti-aging because it's kind of been a market gimmick, but regenerate, regenerate with a higher quality and, and gain performance. So, you know, working with the race car drivers, professional athletes, all that stuff is and, and building the more race car versions of water structuring while incorporating all the fundamental foundation is really where our mission is turning to. And it's hard to express outward and get the point across without getting overcomplicated. Um, so we're just like learning still how to simplify and lead proper on the cutting edges of water without getting into bullshit marketing and getting desperate and making claims. So we're a very stable, honest company um, that has a good grounding and everybody who works in our shop likes coming to work. And that's my job as an executive is I used to hate going to work when, because of certain things. And I, so I, I really just try and make a good workplace where everybody's there because they're there because they want to be. And if anybody isn't that way and they're just there for money, usually they don't, I let them go because it's not the level we're operating on. So that's kind of, you know, what's changed since I took over in 2018 and uh, uh, actually 19. So I'm four years into transforming the company and the technology and I'm supported by really good people. And I'm really thankful for that and thankful for the uh, movement in the collective where I can get on podcasts and do interviews and talk about this stuff. Because without that, it's kind of really slow moving. It's difficult to market. Yeah, I get it. Well, thank you so much for uh, spending your time and shedding your knowledge on the podcast today. Um, why don't you just give people the actual name of the website and where they can find you on social media and stuff like that? Sure. We're, uh, name of the company is Natural Action Technologies. Uh, we kind of go by the nickname Natural Action. The website is naturalaction.com or Natural Action Wall. 
Otter.com. Um, the natural action being kind of named after, uh, well, just studying nature of no motion and motion and how those two fit together. I've always liked the name, so we kept it in the company transformation. And uh, uh, we have a member site that is different. Uh, you have to sign up for it, and it's kind of like a separate website. We just don't want the, the website, the front end, being so plugged up with information that it confuses people. So we made a back end for people who really like to dig in. And we post like all our documents and technical stuff there and governmental testing. And there's a lot there, right? And, and collaborative work or, or corroborative work in the science of study of water. Um, it needs updated, but nonetheless, the webinars have very deep, useful things on, on systematic objectives and water use. And I'm kind of the same there. Um, the water, you know, is the foundation, but on our webinars, we really go more into unified modeling and how to measure the human body and how to measure the soil and carry reams work. And I, I do a lot of promotion of, of, uh, Tesla and Schauberger and John Keeley and Walter Russell and torsion physics, all the unified stuff I teach because that works everywhere. And my goal in this is like yours is to give people a means a mental state, I call it tools for the mind, to go to work, to generate, to create, and regenerate uh, with quality. And, and then the water is the foundation for it. So here's our water stuff, but I'm interested in the deeper. So that's on our member site. Um, it's not perfect. I, I do learn as I go. So, But 98% of it, I, I would say, holds true to when I started doing them. And I think 2017. So there's a huge body of practical unified modeling and systems that anybody from like post graduate to well-developed doctor to, you know, engineers that everybody can use it for their advantage. So it can be polished better, but you know, it's kind of raw down to earth. You'll, you'll get it. Um, that's an important part of what we offer is education of the group. I, if you, if somebody wants to do that and not buy anything, it makes me just as happy. Um, you know, we're the ones responsible for figuring out how to sell the stuff and sell the value and the benefit of it without like going out of bounds. So that's, that's the benefits there. And we do webinars usually once a month or, or so on and off uh, with different topics, um, live ones. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. The site's got a lot of videos on it to educate yourself if you like it that way. Um, we went more to an educational platform and learn about the water life cycles and what happens when you short them and the deeper layers of the crystal is uh, done all in video form, like educational video form from uh, uh, Isabel Friend, who's a, a good friend of mine who's really passionate about water. So we kind of gave her guidelines and let her rip with helping educate people on the more subjective, less engineering side of things. So... I hope that's all useful, naturalaction.com or naturalactionwater.com. And uh, that's where you can find the products. And we have chat box. We love customer interface. We're not a company who's like, yeah, listen to the message and, you know, hit one or two or three. And if you don't like our technology, we're really helpful in you returning it. We don't hassle people. We want all our customers to honestly receive the technology and benefit. And it doesn't work for everybody, but the the historical figures are over 99% given the freedom to return. So we do real well with it. Cool, man. 
Well, thank you so much. And I can't wait for the episode to drop. I think there's a lot of uh, crazy information in the field about water with this episode. So thank you so much for uh, uh, giving us your time. If you enjoy this show, would you please take a second to subscribe, rate, and review it for me? Also, if you'd like to know more information about Combo, personalized one-on-one coaching with me, or for upcoming retreat information, which I host with my wife, please visit my website in the show notes or DM me on Instagram. My handle over there is at Integrative Matt. Until next time, my friends.